This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Pinehurst Youth Development Center. Pinehurst, preparing troubled youth to re-enter society and start a new life using the freedom and serene isolation of the Crystal Lake Wilderness. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. You're not trying. You're trying to sound sick at no, this I'm point. No, I'm not. <laughs> and this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's the week of Friday the 13th on Pod Cemetery with... Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning from 1985, and the 2022 movie called Scream, which is effectively Scream 5. Yes. We're closing out that franchise again. We already closed it out, and then the fifth movie came out, and we have to close it out again. (laughs) And we're getting further along in the Friday the 13th franchise. So let's get right into it. 1985's Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, with a story by Martin Katrasser and David Cohen, screenplay by Martin Katrasser, David Cohen, and Danny Steinman, and directed by Danny Steinman, of course, based on characters by Sean S. Cunningham and Victor Miller. The movie stars Melanie Kinnaman, John Shepard, and Shavar Ross, and... We get Miguel Nunez Jr. again and Corey Feldman. Of course, this movie was originally supposed to be an immediate follow-up to part four where Corey kills Jason and maybe he's gone over the deep end, but he was already committed to Goonies at this point and so he couldn't. They had to film this over the course of like an hour or two in his backyard because he was already committed to a different film and he was so, so busy apparently that he could just couldn't do this movie As well. And according to Corey in Crystal Lake Memories, he said at the time he really wanted to keep doing this. He didn't want to do Goonies. He wanted to do this. He would have left Goonies to do this. Well, and of course they had to rewrite it all because he couldn't be in it. It would have been a huge mistake. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, Spielberg fucked up all our plans uh, because he uh, decided he wanted me in a couple films. I was forced quite begrudgingly to participate in a little film called Goonies and not participate as I would have liked in the full version of Friday 13 Part 5. You mentioned the Goonies without him? I mean, I wonder what his life would have been like. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, I don't know, maybe. Kelsey, what is Friday the 13th, The New Beginning about now that we only get Corey Feldman for just a little itty bit? So it's about Tommy Jarvis as an older teenager, and he is kind of being re-released into the world, but through like a halfway house, and people start dying, and is it him? Is it Jason? Is it somebody else? Who is it? We don't know. Yeah, it's like a murder mystery again. It's not just, oh, that's Jason. The movie is available on Fubo and AMC Plus with a subscription. You can rent it for 3 to $4 or buy it for $10, although it is 
$7 on DirecTV and probably cheaper as part of a bundle. That's how we got it. We we bought this movie a long time ago as part of a Friday the 13th bundle. Kelsey, should people watch A New Beginning? If you're a fan of this series, absolutely. I think that this of is Of course, still... absolutely. And not just not just because oh, if you watch the series, you got to watch them all. Like, no, this is I it's think this still has, all right. I think this has legitimate stuff in it. I think it also has some bullshit in it. It does. But I think it does have some legitimate stuff. It's just it's too long and there's too yes. many deaths that are too inconsequential. I was surprised by how much I was just down with this movie. I was like, okay, yeah, all right. I think that Danny Steinman came in to do one thing, and that's make Friday the 13th violent and get a buttload of kills in it and a lot of boobs. and a lot of boobs and he did exactly that yeah. and he didn't do it in a way that felt like sell outish <laughs> you know what i mean and the one thing that uh, that people really slight this movie for which we'll get to i really didn't bother me i mean there are elements of it that did but like the fact that it's yeah no it, it didn't matter i don't think I don't think it mattered because, well, I can't really say why it didn't matter. We can we can give it away. We we gave it away at the end of the last episode. There are going to be things that we're going to talk about as we go along that you have to have the foreknowledge to understand. So we will be giving away the twist, like, right away. So if you are slightly interested in watching this movie, go ahead and do that and then come back. And as soon as we start talking about the movie, we'll give away the twist. But, yeah. I think you should it it's still like we never thought that Friday the 13th was like the pinnacle of horror movies or anything like that. Our our ratings of the first four movies and the reboot never got into the 80s even. So but what are they? The highest is you gave the first one a 77 and the lowest is I gave the remake a 60. Huh. So it they're pretty tight so far in quality, and I think this one kind of stays within that range. Yeah. So, yeah, you should watch it if you like the other one so far. Yeah, but, I mean, this isn't, like, if you're only going to see one, this isn't the one you're going to see. No. (laughs) No, 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 no. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1985's Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. Kelsey, can you get us started by just telling us the twist? What is the twist? Because we're going to have to talk about it as the movie goes on. 
So the twist is that it is not actually Jason Voorhees at the end as the murderer. But you will get so much Jason Voorhees throughout the film that I think it's okay. You know, the problem with Halloween 3 is that there is just no Michael Myers to be had. In this one, we see plenty of Jason all through Tommy's psyche, damaged psyche. Can we talk about how we have two movies this week that are about a young product of an original killer seeing that killer look back at them in their mind? Yes, I did notice that. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Anyway. Yeah, so it's not Jason. It is a paramedic named Roy. We will meet him shortly. Does it kind of suck that it's pretty much impossible to know who it is? Unless you see the scene where he just stares violently at this person, even though, like, you don't know who he is. Right. I mean, they basically are telling you in that shot that it's him, but, like, also... You're not going to see him again until the end of the movie. So no, you see him a like, couple times. Do you? Yeah, he's not one of the teenagers, and I think that's the important part. But there's no way he possibly could be. We see his physique. There are only so many people it could be. And although they want you to think it might be, it is certainly not Tommy Jarvis. Even though Tommy Jarvis is fucking ripped in this. <laughs> he's got a six-pack for days. <laughs> anyway, get us started on the story, Kelsey. How does... Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, begin. Do we need to get into the story? It's a new beginning. We're starting a new chapter. Okay, what they wanted to do is they wanted Jason Voorhees to be over. And they gave Danny Steinman two specific criteria. There needs to be a kill every eight minutes or some sort of scare. Every eight minutes, and he fucking delivered. As a matter of fact, he doubled up on them two by two like he was loading animals in an ark. And by the end of the movie, he needed to make Tommy the new Jason. And, I mean, he did it. He accomplished what he was told to do. Yeah, I mean, but the problem is, is that, like he said, there's so many kills, there's... There's so many deaths that just are meaningless. It becomes very obvious that every time they introduce a new character, they're going to be the next ones to die. (laughs) Yeah. That's not interesting. That's the problem here. Yeah, but it was still, I I still had had an all right time with it. We see Corey Feldman. Corey's back, baby. He sees these people digging up Jason for some reason. In a marked grave. Yes, and of course, Jason comes to life with his machete. Wait, 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 Kelsey, what is their motivation for digging up Jason? We gotta get a look at the main man. (laughs) The main, my man. Yes. (laughs) Let's rip this sucker open. We gotta get a look at the main man. My man. My man. It doesn't explain why he's out there at the same time as these guys who are digging up Jason's grave. He feels compelled to go there for some reason. How do we know that this isn't real? (laughs) Well, it's funny that you should ask, because by the end of the film, I'm pretty sure we're told that he was cremated. Yes. Right? He was cremated, yes. So, that. But we don't know that yet. Uh, But, so, I mean, it's got a, you know, the grave has his name on it, which why would it have that? Right. He's buried with his machete and his mask, uh-huh. almost like it's a ceremonial death. And uh-huh. it's like, I don't think they would do that, you know. So, you know, it's a dream. Right. Then when Jason kills the two men and then comes after Tommy, he 
wakes up and he is a teenager in a van. Oh, he also had his hair back, by the way, Tommy. So I guess his hair grew back. <laughs> right. Because remember, guys, last time we saw Tommy, he had shaved all his hair off. Right. But it was a dream. He used to read Word Up magazine. I don't know what that is. Shake it. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. It's uh, uh, Biggie Smalls. Notorious B.A.T. What does it say on the van that's driving Tommy around? Something about being a psych ward? Unger Institute of Mental Health. Yeah. He's being re-released into the public. Kind of. He's being taken to a cabin in the woods <laughs> where I guess they they it's like a transitionary place you know they call it a halfway house that what that's what they mean when they say halfway house it's halfway between where you were and, and being released into society right it's a place where you're you live it's a place where you're expected to stay and come back to every night and get tested and interviewed and all of that stuff basically training wheels for getting back into society and what's going to start all of the death off here, guys, is not the actual killer, but one of the people at this halfway house is just going to kill a mentally handicapped guy. Yeah. Because he bothers him. I wrote down, how old is Vic supposed to be? <laughs> Aren't these all supposed to be teenagers? Yeah, he's got anger issues. And he's he's chopping wood, and then they have... And Joey is bothering him. He's bothering everyone. And Vic ends up putting the axe into his back and then doesn't stop. He just keeps hacking away, which is kind of fucked. And then when the paramedics show up, this is where we meet Roy for the first time. And I wrote down, are they trying to make Roy seem sinister? <laughs> like they they linger on his reaction to seeing Joey's body. And it's like... Meanwhile, the other guy is, doesn't Crass. the other guy doesn't care at all. Yeah, uh-huh. So if you know that it's Roy, it's very obvious <laughs> in the first scene he's in. But yeah, I wrote, what kind of place is this? It's just a bunch of sexy 80s, quote-unquote, teens, plus Joey, oh. who is, is terrible representation. Yeah, so as we said, there are going to be just a bunch of kills of people that you don't know and don't care about. So there's these 50s greasers who get their car stuck in the middle of the road and one of them decides to go to the bathroom and there's going to be a whole, there's a couple of guys that will die because they have to go, go to, to the, the bathroom. bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> there was the comment in Crystal Lake Memories that they are gay because it's two greasers in a car in the forest together. Some people have, have uh, supposed that our characters were the first uh, gay characters to be killed in the Friday the 13th series. And I think it's an open-ended question. I hadn't made that choice, but who knows where it went with, with Pete and where, where it would have gone, you know, if, if they could have lived a little longer. Okay, I don't think really that's implied other than the fact that it's two men in a car together. I guess. <laughs> but all right. But random 50s greasers. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, and one of them... One of them has kind of a cool death. He gets a flare in his mouth. Yeah. But they cut away pretty quick. Yeah. But the, when they do the effect, you know it's not real, but it's still cool looking with the light coming out of his mouth. Right. It's obvious that it's a dummy head. The other guy who walked like 10 miles to take a shit, like he just <laughs> did not stop walking. <laughs> he comes back 
and gets a machete uh, across the throat, right? Yeah, from the back seat. Jason's in the back seat. Quote unquote, Jason. We should be clear, like we said, this is not the real Jason. He has blue marks on his hockey yeah. mask, mm-hmm. which is different from the original, which had the red marks. There were three red marks on the original, and there are two blue marks on this one. Mm-hmm. The one that Tommy sees in his visions is the original with the red marks. So we know there are several moments when it's like, oh, my God, is Tommy seeing things or is Jason actually there? You can tell by looking at the mask. So when it's in his dream, is it red? Is it correct? Yeah. And when he's upstairs looking out the window and Jason is looking up at him from outside, like the classic Jason view, there might as well be laundry hanging up. <laughs> they do hang up laundry outside at one point in this movie when uh, when Joey dies. You mean dies. that's a Michael. Jason does a similar sort of thing, too. Well, that's a but Michael yes, shot. you're absolutely right. Uh, but yes, he has the red marks. So we know it's not the real one. Because I pointed out that he looks away for a while. You mean it's blue, so we know it's not the real No, I mean it's red. He looks away for so a while. the real Jason in his imagination. Yes. And then he looks back, and my note is... I mean, this is a while later, but my note is he closes his eyes long enough that when he opens them up again, it could have actually been the physical Jason and not just one of his visions, except no... It does have the red marks on the mask. So if you are paying attention to that, you can easily differentiate between the two. But anyway, this one, blue marks on his mask, sitting in the back seat, slits the second greaser's throat. Two more guys just introduced and died in the same scene. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We're going to find out that Tommy is obsessed with masks, apparently, but that goes nowhere. We knew that from the first one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He and does he brings that. his masks with him. Yeah. And when the guy, like, takes them and is, like, making fun of them. He He beats the shit out of them. Yeah. Tommy is ripped. We see him topless at one point, and he is ripped. I think that's supposed to imply that he could be the killer. It's not. He's way too small. (laughs) But he could be a killer. Yes. Which is kind of what the movie's trying to do. But Reggie asks him about it. Reggie is this young boy who's the grandson of, like, what, the cook? I think so. And he occasionally spends time out there. And he's like, what's the matter? Can't you take a joke? And it's like, God, I hate when kids say that. A kid the other day said that to me in class, and I was like, nope. That was Eddie. Eddie, who got busted for having sex with Tina in their neighbor's yard. Mm-hmm. And the neighbors are crazy. Oh, I hate <laughs> the neighbors. You hate them? Oh, no, I love them. <laughs> God. This is... They're so pointless. Ethel and whatever her son's name is, Junior, I know they call him a lot. Uh, Are they supposed to be funny? I think so. Okay. They let her get away with kind of anything when it came to ad-libbing. And so this movie we mentioned has more tits and more kills and more language than in any other one. Oh my god, the F word is used constantly. Half of it is just from this Ethel woman here because she was just ad-libbing. And she just kept dropping F-bombs. Jesus. At one point, she calls her son a stupid dildo. It's great. I love Ethel. (laughs) I'm gonna chop you into itty-bitty little pieces, my friend. Just like they done to that pig over there at that fucking crazy farm. (laughs) (laughs) You big dildo. Eat your fucking slop. Ain't I make the best goddamn stew in the whole wide world? 
But yes, he he beats up Eddie. Can't you take a joke? I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another guy coming up here. He has a mustache and everything. He's going to be a new kill. He actually was introduced at the beginning. He was one of the drivers that left Tommy at this halfway house in the woods with Pam. Another Pam. Pamela Voorhees, right? Yes. So Pam is like our final girl. She's a, she's the assistant director of this facility here. But he hits on her, this guy. We don't see him again until this scene where he's picking up his girl for a date. What is his girl's name? Lana. And he has to call out for her a lot. Lana! <laughs> Lana! Hey, Lana! Hey, Lana! Lana! Danger zone. <laughs> we just could not get that out of our head. Lana. 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 Lana! What? <laughs> Danger zone. Lana! <laughs> what? <laughs> there is a random cat scare inside the diner with Lana. Yep. Just why? There's just a cat inside. But again, we needed a scare at least every eight minutes or whatever it is. And that's something I noticed, too. I was like, no, it's just it just keeps the pace going with the scares. I didn't realize that it was a dictate from the producers, and it was, apparently, according to the director. But he gets, he does some coke, and then he gets a machete to the top of the head, or, yes. an, or a butcher's knife, or a cleaver, or something. I don't think it's a machete every kill. Maybe it's an axe. That was an axe. Uh, but he gets it to the top of his head, so there's a dummy for that, too. And then Lana comes out, oh, she flashes a mirror for no reason? Just because they needed to get her tits on screen? Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, it's showtime. Which I guess is a reference. A couple weeks before that, I had seen the film All That Jazz about Alfonsi. And he would, throughout the film, say, it's showtime. Showtime. So two more people introduced and killed right away, except for the dude who was introduced in the very beginning, and this was his second scene. This is where Tommy sees Jason outside the window. Ah, ah. <laughs> Three hours of staring at the window finally pays off. But things have finally get gotten to the higher-ups. The sheriff, who likes this halfway house and supports them, Matt, who runs the halfway house like he's nice to him, the sheriff is being visited by the mayor, saying, you got to do something about this, all these people dying... And the sheriff is like, the way I figure it, it could be Jason. He could be back. And the mayor's like, Jason was cremated. This is where we learn that. And the sheriff's response is, was he? Were you there? It's kind of introducing the fact that maybe he's not dead. But again, the production company wanted Jason to be gone and replaced by Tommy. So yes, for the purposes of this movie, he might not have been cremated, but in actuality, he was. There's another guy being Jason for this movie, and by the end, Tommy will be the new Jason. There's also another really random character who is just introduced randomly at the uh, next-door neighbor's house. Yeah, after the dildo comment, eat your slop, um, he just shows up creepily and is like, I'll do work for food or whatever. And she's like, all right, get to work then. And he does. And the next time we see him, he's randomly walking around and catches two kids having sex. This is Tina and Eddie again. And he gets murdered. 
Yeah, he was a very good candidate for potentially being the new killer until the second scene he's in, killed. Watching Eddie and Tina. Eddie and Tina, both of which are killed. They have sex on a blanket, on the grass, more tits from Tina. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have sex. It's very fast. Apparently that scene was cut down drastically in order to keep it R. Yeah, no, when I watched it in the movie, I was like, whoa. That was really fast. Like I was like, are they are they implying that he like that that was how fast their sex was? And then in Crystal Lake Memories, they explain that it's a much longer scene. And I thought that was really funny because uh-huh. I noticed that. Right. I do remember seeing the final cut and thinking, God, it looks like I'm like quick draw McGraw, man. I mean, like <laughs> in and done, bang. You know, it's like, hey, okay, I gotta go wash up. It's like, uh, wait a minute. Eddie goes to wash up in the river, I guess, afterwards. And Tina is left alone. And that's when we see the farmhand guy watching her. And it's like, oh, he's creepy. Is he going to kill her? No, he dies while he's watching her. And then Tina dies. She gets like, what was it? Madman? She gets the uh, pruning shears into the eyes. This movie hates eyes. Oh, yeah. It was definitely a creepy death. And, yeah, just poked into both the eyes, and that's how she dies. And then when Eddie comes back, he realizes that she's dead, freaks out. Jason shoves him against a tree, puts a leather strap over his eyes, Mm -hmm. and then uses a branch to twist it on the other side of the tree to tighten it. Uh, Another thing they mentioned, that was shortened as well, because if you watch, you'll see he twists it in multiple directions, (laughs) which wouldn't work. But apparently that's because the scene was much more was much longer and more gruesome and they cut out a lot of it. Mm. Um, And so what they left in is, I guess they're hoping you're not paying attention and noticing that he's turning the branch in different directions. Mm -hmm. Well, we did notice. Yes, we did. Okay. The funny thing about the next death is that Chris and I thought that this was a character from earlier. I thought I was going crazy. Yeah. We thought that this was, what, what, who did we think this was? Well, this is Miguel Nunez Jr. So it's Reggie. We mentioned the little boy Reggie. It's his older brother, who the grandpa is sending him to hang out with, with Pam and Tommy. They're going to go with him. And we meet Miguel Nunez Jr., who is playing Demon. And I don't know if it's just because all of these movies, he has a nickname. Like, in this, he's Demon. In Return of the Living Dead, he's... Spider and Leprechaun 4, he's sticks. Like he just has all these names. These are all movies we've seen on the show. <laughs> and I I maybe it's because we've seen this before that like I feel like we've talked about him being demon on this show before. Well, maybe we did when we did one of those. Yeah, we must have. And we just haven't gotten to this movie yet at the time. We thought we had already seen him. We're like did he not die? Yeah, wasn't he in an earlier one? And then we're thinking, okay, well, no, that was, what was it, three or four when they're at the farmhouse? Yeah. And the bikers show up there. That must be who we're thinking of. But, like, I could have sworn we've seen him in this franchise before. And I know who Miguel Nunez Jr. is. Like, there's no mistaking him. It's weird. It's He's... he's just a blob in my brain at this point. <laughs> well, he also is going to die because he's taking a shit. And they yeah. sing while he's sitting on the toilet. And I'm just so, like, this is so weird. His girlfriend is there who doesn't bother to get up when she's introduced to everybody. Oh, my God. It was so funny. <laughs> I think she's smoking a joint and like yes. in walks this kid 
with this lady who works at a halfway house, and she's just like, hey, what's up? I'm not going to get up, and I'm going to keep smoking this joint. There's a line, are you hungry here? Have an enchilada? Oh, my God. Yeah, and he also gives, like, tacos. Enchiladas, Um, tacos, pizzas, and beer. That's right. So when everyone's gone again, Tommy gets into a fight with Junior, who... uh, who, like, comes up on his motorcycle and, like, attacks him or whatever, and Tommy beats him up. Um, and so Pam and Reggie are going to go look for him or something like that. And so it's just, now that we've been introduced to Demon and his girlfriend, they're just sitting there, and he's like, oh, ah, and she's like, what's wrong? It's the damn enchiladas! <laughs> and then, he yeah, he goes to this outhouse, which is just corrugated sheet metal, and they start singing... Ooh, baby, ooh, baby, ooh, baby. Are they just supposed to be making up a song? I don't know if it's a rep. It sounds familiar. I don't know. I don't know. It sounded (laughs) like they were just singing ooh, baby over and over And then she stops. Suddenly. But, like, who sings while they're on the toilet with their loved one? Right, and she's teasing him about taking his shit. Yes. He's like, listen, I don't want to be in here any longer than I have to. Uh, But she quiets up. And then the outhouse starts shaking again because she had shaken it earlier. And he gets upset. He pulls up his pants. I guess he hadn't started yet or he was done and he just wasn't going to wipe. I don't know. (laughs) He opens the door and her body is in the way and her throat is slit. And he freaks out, but he can't get out. The outhouse is shaking again. And then like, I don't know, it's like a sign outside or something. It has a a pole with a point on it. Mm. That I guess Jason took out of the ground or something and then starts shoving it through this sheet metal <laughs> and uh, eventually stabs Demon from behind and uh, he dies on the toilet. Yeah, that's a way to die. Uh huh. It's not a good way to die. No. Something about people dying in toilets that horror movies love. <laughs> so Junior is going to piss off Tommy Jarvis. So Tommy is going to hurt him. So he's going to go home all upset. And he's going to be riding around <laughs> for some reason because on Because he can't control his emotions. And she's like, get in here and have your stew or whatever. And it's not even heated yet. Yeah, she's just putting the vegetables into water. Uh-huh. So the stew's strange. not ready. It's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. And he is just doing like donuts and riding back and forth on their lawn. And as he rides by a tree, out comes a machete and chops his head off. Does the head go through the window or is it just Jason's hand? There's like a knife that goes through the window, I think. Gets her right in the face, and then her head falls into the stew. I don't remember if it's her. I think his head comes through the window, but I don't remember. We're pretty much done just introducing people to kill them off. There is another guy who dies off screen, the other ambulance driver. We'll get to him in a minute. So. Grandpa dies off screen. Yes. Oh, good point. So Pam gets back, and Tommy is gone. Grandpa's gone. Matt went looking for Eddie and Tina, who are also gone. And Pam goes looking for everyone, while the rest, including Reggie, stay home. There's three women and one man, and then Reggie. Or I should say, I guess they're all teenagers, right? So, Jake and Robin are downstairs, watching A Place in the Sun, for whatever reason. (laughs) And he hits on her, and she laughs at him. Well, okay. I thought this was actually very real because guys are stupid. Yes. And girls are uncomfortable and don't know what to do and... She ends up she she laughs at him really bad. Right, she feels bad about it. I thought that was very interesting that they incorporated that. They show Uh like that she feels bad that she realizes that what she did was wrong, 
But in the moment, she didn't know how to get out of the situation. And it felt very real because you don't know what a guy's going to do when you turn them down and you've already been really close with them and yeah. you're, you're in this intimate space right now. I think everyone understands that women have different experiences from men, right? But it's not until you actually put yourself in their shoes that you get that sort of revelation of it's like that's why they're having a different reaction to things as well. It's not like just that as a man, it's not just that, oh, they're being irrational. It's that they have a different world than I do, like completely. <laughs> and I've mentioned this on the show before. Things like, are you standing between the door and them when you come up to them and try to hit on them? Nothing wrong with introducing yourself to a girl and trying to get a conversation going or whatever. But are you blocking her exit? As a guy, you probably don't even realize it because it's not your reality, but it is hers. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I thought it was very compelling that she was like, fuck, oh, such a dick, you know? And she was kind of beating herself up, up about it. Meanwhile, he's dying upstairs. He gets a machete to the <laughs> literally face. Dying. Yes, uh, literally dying. Yes, literally dying. She gets a machete to the face. She goes upstairs and gets undressed because we need more titties. Yep. Robin, she gets into bed naked only to discover that Jake is in her bed dead. And I guess she's like strangled or something. Mm -hmm. But the best moment of there's plenty of good moments. I wrote down some point in here. I mean, the movie's kind of fun. It's bonkers. It's very and I appreciate strange. that. There's a very long scene of this yes, girl. Violet. This dancing. is so great. I love it. And she does a great job. But the problem is, is that she doesn't look like she's enjoying herself. But she has this sort of like bored look on her face. Yes. But I think that's part of it. She's dancing to this song, His Eyes by Pseudo Echo. There's a man with no life in his eyes. And then she's dancing with just an incredible dance. And I felt like she belonged in, uh, like, a Freddy movie. I thought that she belonged, like, in Freddy 3. Well, she felt like the girl who gets her primetime bitch. Line. She looks a lot like her, but I thought she emanated more of the, my dreams, I'm beautiful and bad. Yes. So imagine the girl who gets her head smashed into the television in that movie combined with the drug addict girl with the switchblades. <laughs> and that's that's Violet, right? And she's dancing to this this song. Like, just, I love it. I love it so much. It's like it's an, like she's training. It's almost like an exercise for her. Like, she's not dancing because she's engaged. You know what I mean? She's dancing because she has to. <laughs> And then she dies, and apparently that was a much more violent and sexual death, insofar as she was stabbed up the vagina. Oh, I remember seeing that picture. There's a there's a picture from the set of her with blood all on her pants, and it's just very disturbing. Which I think is, yeah, unnecessary. And they didn't put it in the movie. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, her death is very anticlimactic after we've watched her dance. Yeah, just dead. <laughs> Reggie wakes up, he's asleep on the couch, and he finds Everyone who just died, because there's nobody in there, he finds everyone in Tommy's room. And he freaks out, and that's when Pam shows up having found no one. And they're like, holy shit, did Tommy kill everyone? Right? And they get out of there, because that's when Jason shows up. They're running around, and there's basically no one left to kill, except Matt, is what I wrote down. Obviously, Tommy's not going to die. So there's basically no one left to kill but Matt. Oh, wait, this is where they run into the dead paramedic guy. In that hearse ambulance thing. 
but only one of them. And <laughs> you never find the other paramedics, so that, mm-hmm. that's another hint to you. Mm-hmm. And then you just find Matt. They get Reggie and Pam get split up in the rain outside. And Pam finds Matt dead with a fucking railroad spike in his head. I don't remember that. What? Like, where did Jason get a railroad spike? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, Jason throws Reggie's grandpa through the window at Pam, and his eyes are gouged out. More eye gouging. Again, this movie Lots hates eyes. Lots of eyes gouged out. Yeah. And when Jason is about to kill her, out comes Reggie with this front loader tractor thing and knocks him back. And when he gets up, you <laughs> yeah. see like he's bleeding from the chest. Yeah. And he just stands there waiting for this very slow vehicle to come and hit him. But it, it's it obviously felt like, you know, in Austin Powers. Yes. Get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. But it hits him hard enough to send him flying backwards, which is a little weird. They're able to to run into the barn, and Jason gets up, and he's bleeding. He he looks down, and he, re- he recognizes that he's bleeding. And so they hide in the barn. We get a machete chainsaw fight. Which, which is... You know, you forget how many chainsaw fights there are. You know, Mandy thinks that it's super cool for having this chainsaw yes, fight. Yes, I know. remember that there's plenty of them. This is 1985, and we're getting one here. And she ends up getting him with the chainsaw in his shoulder. Remember, this is just a real human. This isn't like Demon Jason at this point, right? And then the chainsaw stalls, and she can't get it started again. At which point, Tommy shows up at the door to the barn. I guess he's just been going for a walk this entire time? Who knows? And he looks at Jason, and he's like, Jason? (laughs) Kind of like young Tommy. But again, this is all meaningless to anybody but Tommy at this point. Him going, Jason? <laughs> well, no, because the guy knew what happened. That's why Matt he did, yeah. That's why he decided to dress up that way. The killer did. Oh, Roy. Yeah, I guess. But now he he's like, oh, oh, Jason, huh? And he lets Jason come up to him, and he lets Jason slash him across the chest. And that's when he snaps out of it. I think it's more because he doesn't think he's actually there. Right. Because he's used to seeing he's been him, seeing him a bunch. A bunch. And he doesn't actually think he's going to do anything, That's but then he actually hits him. That's a real good point. Yeah, and so that causes him to snap out of it, and then he stabs him in the inner thigh with the knife that we mentioned earlier on that he brought to this facility. But the last time we saw it, he put it under the bed. I think they were showing you that he had it. Right. I guess they could have done a better job showing. Yeah. You why show it that it. it's under the bed? Or if you do, show him taking it out later. You know. But anyway, Jason's getting fucked up. He is a real human being who is just getting fucked up. I remember he got a chainsaw. He got hit by the front loader. He got stabbed probably in a very important artery. (laughs) (laughs) And he's going to follow them upstairs, as always. It's not even strange for a Friday the 13th movie. They're upstairs in a barn. Yeah, that happened in three. In three, yeah. When they're upstairs, Reggie jumps at him causing him to fall out of that upper window. And there are like hay spikes, I guess is what that's supposed to be on the ground. There's like this pallet with all these spikes coming up. And I guess that's how you keep the hay attached to the pallet. I I don't know. No idea. Uh, they don't explain it at all, but he didn't fall. He was holding on. So he grabs onto them. I think specifically Reggie, at which point Tommy grabs Jason's machete and chops his arm off. <laughs> Jesus. Woo! And he Go falls Tommy. and he lands on the spikes with enough force 
that not only the hockey mask bursts off, but also the full head and chest mask that he was wearing bursts off. Do they explain that he got it from Tommy on all of his masks? No. They don't explain where this mask comes from. And it's, oh, I didn't realize he had a face mask on yeah, underneath the hockey he, mask. Well, you Because you see, Roy has hair. But you see Jason, and he's bald, and he's got this fucked up head. And then you see his, like, his clavicle and shit. I did not notice so, that. So there's no line. So it's like a full bust mask that he's wearing. Huh. Where he got it, who the fuck knows? They never indicate that he took it from Tommy. Tommy never says, I'm missing a mask or anything like that. Which I feel like that could have been an interesting subplot of them blaming Tommy. I don't know. and But apparently he falls with enough force to burst that mask open and we see that it's Roy underneath. And I don't blame you. If the first time you're watching this, you're like, who who is that? Yeah. They do a piss poor job at this moment of helping you identify him. I don't think they needed to. Because they're going to tell they're you gonna the tell entire you the next thing scene. in the next scene. Yeah, just keep the mask on. And then they can tell you in the next scene. So... What is the next scene? It's the scene from Psycho where everything is explained. Yes. Tommy is in the hospital. Pam is sitting outside in the hallway and the sheriff comes and talks to her and says, Joey was Roy's son. Just the confluence of events that led to this is insane, right? So the kid who was axed to death at the woodpile was Roy's son. God only knows why Roy kept it hidden all these years, but he did. Roy was a real loner. Never talked much. Not even to the other paramedics. I guess when he was called to the scene and he saw that it was his own Joey all hacked to pieces. We also found these. I guess he used the Jason thing to cover up with. He broke. He snapped and killed everyone except Reggie, Pam, and Tommy. But he had a picture of Joey in his wallet, like an adult Joey. Where did he get that picture from? <laughs> oh, this movie's filled with that. At one point, we saw a picture of Jason, and I was like, who yes, just took the, a picture of Jason wearing his mask? What, what, when they took him in? It's right here. It's so weird. It's right here when the sheriff is explaining it. We also see that he had a bunch of clippings from Jason in his pocket. So completely unrelated to Tommy being there. It's another coincidence. Tommy just happened to go to the halfway house in the woods where another patient was staying, who was the secret son of a paramedic who was already obsessed with Jason. Okay. That's the movie's bonkers, so it's it's bonkers already, so I really didn't mind. The stuff just sort of washes over you. You're just like, oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Tommy, he has a dream when Pam shows up that he stabs her with a machete, laughing maniacally. But we find out it is just a dream. He's, when he wakes up, he sees Jason, and again, it's the real one with the right mask in the room when he wakes up, but he's not scared this time. He is resolute, and then Jason fades out of his vision. He doesn't look away. Jason just fades away. Now, the implication is this is Tommy's change, right? This is when Tommy becomes Jason. He doesn't need the presence of Jason there anymore. 
And when he opens up the drawer in his room, the Jason mask is in there. The blue mark one, the fake Jason mask is in there for some reason. That's never explained because this is reality. Yeah, this is dumb. This whole thing is dumb. And then so when Pam actually does go to his room, she finds the window smashed open. She goes inside. They see like, oh, Tommy, are you here? And Tommy is standing behind her wearing the mask and brandishing a knife, which apparently is just in a patient's bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then credits. Yeah. So I like I like the concept of turning Tommy into the new Jason. I don't like the execution. They had all the elements they needed to do it well. They just did it poorly. I disagree. I'm glad that they didn't make Tommy the killer in this, and I wish they hadn't su- uh, suggested it at the end. Oh, I'm no, I'm glad they they didn't make him the killer in this movie, but they were trying to set him up for the future of the franchise. And if that's the way it was going to go, I'm fine with it. And I guess you don't like it so much. Ah. Well, you don't want Tommy to be the villain? No. Why not? Because he's Corey Feldman, and I don't want Corey Feldman to be the villain. But he's not Corey Feldman but anymore. Corey Feldman. I don't want Corey Feldman to be the villain. <laughs> okay. I had a really big crush on Corey Feldman. Wow. Fan. Oh, yeah. I was a big Corey and Corey fan. I liked both of them. I liked Corey Haim better. Well, Corey Haim is the dreamier one. I did like Corey Haim better, but I liked Corey Feldman. Because Lucas? Corey Feldman was, yeah, Lucas, yes. Uh, but, but Corey Feldman was mouth. Yeah. He's also one of the Frog Brothers. Yeah. But see, I liked uh, Corey Heyman that one better. Well, yeah, he's more of the main character. Although, truly, the love there is Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, for sure. Just a little side note. We saw my nephew the other day, and (laughs) he's been growing a mullet, and he also dyed his hair. The same color that my brother, my brother's hair was in high school, and my hair was for a little bit. This like peroxide blonde sort of look, right? We'd spike our hair. It was the nineties, and except now, you know, mullets are back in with Gen Z, and so he has this mullet with this bleach blonde hair, and I was like, "Oh man, you look like Kiefer Sutherland from The Lost Boys." And he has <laughs> no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's great. I don't know if we talked about this, but Kiefer Sutherland apparently regrets that hairstyle because it did sort of popularize the mullet at the time. Anyway. Michael. So the idea was that future movies, Tommy would be the killer. But I guess people had a problem with the fact that this movie had two Jasons and neither of them were Jason. And so it's like, nah, we got to have Jason. And that's why we get Jason back. And that's why we get the slug monster thing, God. which is oh, coming God. up. Is that the next movie? I don't think it's, I, th- I think that's I Jason Jason lives. from hell. Goes Jason to hell. goes to hell. Maybe that's Jason goes to hell. I think that's Jason goes to hell. Where Jason is never Jason. He's just the slug monster. <laughs> Sorry if we're spoiling that for you. Oh, God. But there's a slug monster that goes from person to person, turning them into Jason. But look. This is not that. It's not. This is not it's that not. bad. This so. is still a good kind of bonkers. This is an okay Jason movie. I just wish they cared a little bit more about their fucking story. I wish the story mattered. It right. really fucking doesn't. This was a get tits and death on yes. the screen, and they did it in a fun way. Lots of kills. As many kills as they could get. But it is not a thinker. No, they're, but like, I don't even... It's a Jason movie. I don't need to be a thinker, but I do need... A story, and there is no story here. Right, like I said, there could have been some sort of, like, the only thing where it's like, is Tommy doing this? Has to be built up in the audience. 
Yeah. Because it's... They did not do enough. They did... The movie itself didn't do enough. Tommy is strong. He's prone to violence. He sees Jason in his visions. And then... They should have had him, All the bodies like, are in his room later. Find himself near the death or, or something, something. Or he should have found himself with blood on his hands or something. Like, there should have been... That more. would not have been trite in the 80s. In 1985, it would not have been trite. So... But there's just, there was very little. You knew it was there, but it was so glossy it didn't matter. Yeah. So that is 1985's Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. Kelsey, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to guess it's pretty low. I'm going to say like a 47. Try 18%. Wow. Out of 22 reviews, people fucking hated that Jason wasn't in this. Wow. I mean, he was. He was just a figment of Tommy's imagination. (laughs) No consensus statement. It has a 16 on Metacritic, a rare instance where the Metacritic average is outside the Rotten Tomatoes score. It's lower than a low Rotten Tomatoes score. Wow, people fucking hated this movie. So, Kelsey, is it overrated or underrated? It's definitely underrated. I would say it's not even a great movie, but it is very underrated. Yes, What do you think it should have? Again, keeping in mind that you gave the first movie a 77, the second movie a 69, the third movie a 70, the fourth movie a 72, and the remake a 71. So you went, again, 77, 69, 70, 72 for the first four movies. And the remake a 71. I'm going to give this one a 60. I wouldn't go that low. I'll give it a 65. But why would you say 60? As fun as some of the deaths were, the flare in the mouth, uh-huh. the guy in the bathroom, when it finally did get to the story portion, which is at the very end, you know, because we need to get all these deaths in that don't matter at all. Uh-huh. By the time you get to that point, I was bored. You know, because like okay, you said, it was yeah. just two by two. Show up to die. Show up to yeah, die. Yeah, that's fair. And But for me, that made it fast enough where I was, I remained engaged. No, by the time I was like, oh, how are these people going to die? Yeah, but they weren't interesting enough. The girl dancing was cool, and then and Then dead. her kill sucked, yeah. Uh-huh. Very, then you're like, well, doesn't really matter, because it has nothing to do with the story anyway. But I mean, the, okay, so the, the, the pruning shears... To the eyes, to the eyes creepy, yes. The strap to the eyes, the uh, yes. flare in the mouth. There are some good kills in this. The impaling in the outhouse. <laughs> like, But there were a lot of people who just die off screen, too. Yeah. Like, Reggie's grandpa. Dead. Matt, dead. with a railroad spike for some reason. I think that's what that was. <laughs> um, girlfriend of Demon. Yeah, Demon's girlfriend, the other paramedic. These are all people that died off screen. Yeah, that's a good point. We got two fake deaths in the beginning in a dream sequence of people who didn't matter. You know, it's a dream sequence. You can make it important characters. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So a 60 and a 65 from us. Much higher. And we've been seeing that a lot lately. I don't know why. Where we're diverging pretty strongly from... Movies that people hated, I guess. (laughs) So let's move on to our next film for Friday the 13th. We are going to, for the second time, wrap up the Scream (laughs) franchise with with Scream 5, otherwise known as Scream from 2022. 
Why would you? I, I guess it's kind of it's kind of the point of the movie. They would name the movie yeah. the same thing over makes, again. The movie the makes movie, that it makes point. Sense, yes. Yeah. Before you watch it, you're like, really? You couldn't just call it Scream Five. <laughs> you had to do that thing. <laughs> but the movie, the whole movie, is a wink to that sort of thing. Yes. So it's doing that on purpose. It's making fun of itself. The movie is directed by Matt Bertinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillette, the first Scream movie not directed by Wes Craven, written by James Vanderbilt, Guy Busick, and, of course, based on the characters created by Kevin Williamson. It stars Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Skeet Ulrich, and a bunch of new folks. <laughs> what is Scream about? Requels. It's about requels. It's a requel. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the same story. It's And if any franchise is allowed to do this, it's Scream, because yes. that's what the entire franchise is based off of. It's a new girl, and yeah. she is being terrorized by Ghostface, and all our old characters came back to help her. And yeah, it's it's a statement about requels, because there are so many. Right. It's not quite a sequel, it's not quite a reboot, it's a requel. And there's a whole speech about what that means in the middle of the movie. Yes. The movie is available with a subscription to Paramount Plus. You can rent it for five to six dollars, or buy it for ten on Apple, Amazon, Google, YouTube, and Redbox. Other services go up to twenty dollars. Should people watch Scream from twenty twenty two? I'm gonna say yes, except that. <laughs> yeah, qualified yes for sure. I think there's three things you need to know. One is that. As clever as this movie is, and as researched as this movie is, I guess, if you want to put it that way. It's as, terribly written? <laughs> yes, it's not well written. It's poorly written. But also, it's a bit up its own ass, and that kind of bothered me. Yeah. Like, I appreciated the things it was saying. I liked the, I liked the certain moments, but it had too many of them. I felt that that should be more subdued. I felt that it could oh, have been more Oh, those like subtle. one-liners and, oh, our heroes have got to have their hero moment. No. Like I, that well, kind of yeah, stuff. That was really annoying towards the end. I just think that it was, it's one thing to be self-aware and, and poking fun at yourself. It's oh. another to make that kind of the entire. Well, to your point, it's, it's kind of self-involved like it it yes it's self-aware of the requel concept but it thinks it's above it all yes, when it's not exactly. it, it, it is exactly what it's commenting on exactly so and i felt you like you can't call yourself above it i felt like they could have done less of that and more of trying to be different yeah i, I don't know I, it's hard to explain i was really fine with most everything plot wise and content wise just except for the writing and the execution were just subpar. Unfortunately, the acting is difficult. Oh my to get god, through. our main heroine. I don't know if it's just the type of movie, maybe she's great in other things. I've never seen her in anything before is horrendous. She's not good. It's not great. Both of us independently were like, "Why is she so bad?" <laughs> she's I, very very beautiful. Yes. A lot of beautiful great. people in this movie, but yeah, terrible actress. <laughs> Not great. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm sorry. We don't mean to put you off. If you've watched four Scream movies at this point, yes, you should absolutely watch this even one. if you haven't, I think it's... It's a good... If you're a horror yeah. fan, this is good. I just think that you should know that there's 
There's going to be things that might irk you about it. That are lame? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2022's Scream. It's happening. Three attacks so far. Well. Whatever his link is to our past, it ends here. I've seen this movie before. Not this movie, Sydney. Scream. Rated R. Kelsey, can you get us started? Tell us how Scream 2022 begins. The phone rings. The phone rings. And it happens to be her landline, and they do comment on that. The fucking landline won't That's stop ringing. That's why she ringing. doesn't answer it originally. Mm-hmm. And she is inviting a friend over to drink. They are in high school, by the way. But when she finally does answer the call, the person tells her, and it's very obviously the voice. The person tells her, Very I'm, obviously, yeah. I'm Charlie from Group. Um, look, just, uh... Tell her I'm from group. I'm Charlie. She's got my number. Your mother talks about you all the time. Uh, You sound exactly how she describes you. She loves you very much. She's proud of turning you into a horror fan. Yeah, this is, by the way, Tara Carpenter, played by Jenna Ortega. And she's inviting over her friend Amber Friedman, played by Mikey Madison. Yes, not so subtly named after... Carpenter, and they will say her name several times just in case you missed it. Yeah, her and her sister are in this, the characters, and so there's a lot of reason to say Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Of course. We're talking about John Carpenter. John Carpenter, <laughs> who has nothing, has no direct relationship to the Scream franchise, but obviously Wes Craven and John Carpenter were contemporaries. Yes, and they're going to talk about Halloween a lot, so it makes sense that yes, they, they do reference yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And she's all excited when he says this to her about his mother. And she's like, oh, my oh, God. Oh, really? She said that? Yeah. My f- And he asks her what's her favorite scary movie. And she says, The Babadook. And I hate the way she pronounces it. She told me the other day, she wonders, what's your favorite scary movie? Uh, The Babadook. It's an amazing meditation on motherhood and grief. <laughs> the Babadook. Or- the Babadook. Or, like, I don't know, she makes a very pronounced Duke sound. I, I, you know, here's the thing about pronouncing the movie Baba Duke, especially if you're saying that you like it. They say the word in the movie. And it has to remind, it has to rhyme with look and with book. With look and book, right. Duck, duck, duck. They say it constantly. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Baba Duke. His name is Mr. Baba Duke. And this is his book. So when you say my favorite horror movie is The Baba Duke, you're just revealing that you haven't seen it? Or that you don't actually like it that much? <laughs> like you're just saying it because it sounds like a good answer? I mean, the character knows the movie. I think this actress maybe doesn't know it that well. That's possible. Um, but, you know, we talk. they talk about how it's elevated horror. Well, it's elevated horror. Uh-huh. Uh, what does that mean, elevated horror? You know, it's like scary, but with complex emotional and thematic underpinnings. It's not just some schlocky cheeseball nonsense with wall-to-wall jump scares. Hmm. That sounds kind of boring to me. There's a whole conversation about the difference between elevated horror and, like, the cheesy horror. Yes, and that is an enormous theme here. The whole point of this movie is to say that 
yes, there is a wonderful thing going on with horror right now. All these great... Um, Elevated horror films. I guess. <laughs> that's, that's the best way. You know, like, it's it's woke horror, right? Like, that's kind of, I guess, what it's going... The idea is, it's a thinking man's horror. It's not like your Friday the 13th, A New Beginnings, where it's just fucks and tits and kills. And that's all it is. It, you, you have to think about it. And Scream 2022 is here to say that that is great. But we can also still have fun. And we can still right. do... We can still have movies that right. a lot of people love. We're not going to be Hagazusa here or anything like that. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that that there's not a place for this kind of horror, which is very much true. And people need to stop shitting on this kind of horror. Yeah. I think is what it's also trying to say. At one point. But at the same time, making fun of itself at all times. For sure. I really appreciate that just like the original, the movie is very tongue-in-cheek. It is self-aware, and it knows it's being self-aware, and... It's, it can be fun for everyone in that regard. Unlike the original, <laughs> it's not as good as the original, okay? The original did that, and on top of that was a good horror movie. This is not as good. So, you know. Right. I mean, that, that's the thing, is if you're going to be a self-aware mockery of a thing, you have to be a good version of that thing. <laughs> There's a, I've talked about this before. There's a video game series called Matt Hazard, and it's a very self-aware video game, and then it's like, oh, this is the moment where I go up against the same enemy over and over and over again. But the problem is, is that you really do go up against the same enemy over and over again in order to make the joke, making it a bad game. (laughs) Like, you have to be aware that that's a danger when you are a self-aware product, right? While on the phone, this is, you know, it's very much mirroring the first scream. Yeah. She is on the phone and she is playing with the knife just like Drew Barrymore does. Uh-huh. She talks about how she saw Stab once at a sleepover because he says that Stab is his favorite horror film and she's just like that's so 90s or whatever it is. And it was like super 90s. <laughs> it was like really overlit and everyone had weird hair. And the person is like, you're from Woodsboro, and you don't like the Stab series? Are you serious? <laughs> Which I totally feel that. Like, I feel like if you were from Woodsboro. Right. Like, maybe it's not your favorite, but, like, you have to have a love for it. I don't know. What is the first scare here, Kelsey? What causes her to arm her security? He asks her, would you like to play a game, Tara? And then it's like there's a, a musical sting. It's a girl at home, alone. She answers a wrong number and starts talking with the killer who makes her play a game. Would you like to play a game? Tara. Like she should be afraid of the fact that the person who calls her happens to know her name? Of course he does. He knows your mom, and he says she talks about her all the time. Yes. Why was that supposed to be scary? I think, actually, it's supposed to be scary because everybody knows like that to line. Would you like to play a game? I think it's... Yeah. Oh. No, yeah, because that's what he says. Would you like... Isn't it? It is, but then, then there's that little punctuation of Tara. Like... But that is the original line, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it could just be that. Something like that, yeah. I want to play a game. <laughs> so she arms her security on her phone. Yes. Which is a fun little nod at current day tech that would have solved problems in the older movies. 
And they basically give away who the first killer is right here. Yeah. If you're paying close enough attention. The killer, like, takes Amber's phone and says he's going to kill Amber if she doesn't get the questions right or whatever. Yes. Because he's outside her door or outside her window. The truth is that the killer is outside of her house and the person has Amber's phone. So didn't they just tell you right there that Amber's the killer? Well, here's the problem. (laughs) Because Amber never says, where's my phone? Right. Okay, so I think the implication is, is that the killer or killers, because they are very vocal about the fact that, haven't you seen a Stab movie? There's always two killers. There are two killers in the original Stab. There are always two killers. They say that one of them took her phone and cloned it. Mm. Right? Here's the problem, though. It doesn't prevent Amber's original phone from still getting messages and then being being able to see the messages that she sent. Like anybody with iMessage, you don't need to clone a phone to know that any device that you're on, like my laptop, this phone, my other phone, all my conversations are available. And when I get a text, it dings on all of those devices. So like Amber would still be able to see all this stuff happening because you cloned the phone and then returned it. How do we know that? Because she was just talking to Amber on the phone about how the landline wouldn't stop ringing. So Amber would be fully aware of all this stuff happening and the conversation that's been going on via text and all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So she sends her a video, which could very well be an old video outside Amber's window. (laughs) Be an odd thing to have, but yes. (laughs) But just a proof that I know... Where this, she is. This girl, yes. I know where she is. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, you mean that he took it earlier? Yes. Cloned oh, okay. it and then now has an extra version of her phone. Right. But that wouldn't stop Amber from getting a ding every time a text message was received, you know? Mm-hmm. And then saying, wait a minute, I didn't send that. Mm-hmm. Is Tara okay? So she immediately hangs up and tries to call 911. But she gets a text from Amber's phone that says, answer the phone or she will die. Uh-huh. So she does. And he is like, you know, I'm going to ask you questions about Stab. And she's like, no, don't ask me about Stab. Ask me about It Follows. Ask me about Hereditary. I told you I don't know these movies. I don't ask, ask me about something I do know. Ask me about It Follows. Ask me about Hereditary. Ask me about The Witch. And it's just it's such a bunch of movie name drops. And I'm like, I feel like you're trying to show respect to these movies. Oh, I thought it was about generating cred. Oh. In quotes. We know about all the elevated horror movies that kids love because they're woke. You know, like, that's what it felt like. Well, I mean... They're good movies. Yeah, they're good it's movies. Not, they're not wrong. It's not like they're not allowed to mention. I'm just saying that it just, it contributed to that for me. Uh, it's funny that you say that. I thought they were too... Popular? Popular for that mm-hmm. to be the case. I but thought- a, a young kid who's getting into horror <laughs> probably wouldn't know all the obscure stuff. And a movie that maybe wasn't all that popular in the mainstream might be something that they'd be really into. So she gets a warm-up question, which is, who is the main character of the Stab movies, right? And that's Sidney Prescott. This is the first time that we get confirmation that Sidney was on Elm Street. In the first movie, you know, there's the 911 on the computer thing. Mm -hmm. It was cut that it showed her address, Mm. um, which was on Elm Street. Wes Craven (laughs) made the Nightmare movies, right? No shit. (laughs) (laughs) So now it's, it's actually part of... 
the series that she lives on Elm Street. So we get that there because Tara mentions it. It's Sydney Prescott and she lived on Elm. But the three questions are, who wrote the book it was based on? That's Gail Weathers. The girl on TV. Yeah. <laughs> the girl killed in the beginning was played by Heather Graham, which she looks up on IMDb, <laughs> or an equivalent. <laughs> and who was the killer? It's a misleading question. Who was the killer in Stab 1? <laughs> Implying that there's only one, and you only need to give one as an answer. Mm-hmm. If you asked who killed in the movie, that opens it up. But the question is literally, who was the killer? Mm-hmm. But they're trying to make it because the joke is that she got that wrong in the first movie, too. Yeah, she said... Uh, so they want it to be the same line. She said Billy Loomis. It's Billy Loomis! It's Billy Loomis, and he was Sydney's boyfriend, and he was played by Luke Wilson, and I got you, asshole! And he says, no, that's not correct, because the correct answer is Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker. But in order for that to be the right answer, you have to say who were the killers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... So... Whatever, it's a stupid, pedantic thing. But it's the thing I think of. I'm like, no, that's not fair. That question actually isn't fair. (laughs) Murderer who's just looking for an excuse to kill this girl. That's not fair. (laughs) I'm afraid someone's got to die now. And it's going to be Tara, though. It's not going to be Amber. Mm -hmm. He's able to turn off her security constantly. And so there's a back and forth with that, which is fun. Well, it's just irritating because I feel like she has enough time to call the cops at this point, and she just doesn't. But she already has. Oh. Yeah. Okay. She already she called nine one one pretty much right away. Right. Or did it digitally or whatever through the app. Um. So the cops are on their way. It just takes them a while to get there. Long enough for there to be a chase. She falls to the floor, and Ghostface stomps on her leg, breaking her leg, which is. Fucked, man. That is kind of gruesome. Yeah, uh, both movies really wanted, well, no, this movie just wanted the violence. I was going to say both movies wanted the violence. The other movie wanted the kills. Yeah. Uh, Friday the 13th wanted the kills, but Scream wanted violence. Oh, I think the, that it was. All the kills are, well, most of the kills are pretty graphic or surprising in some way, like I think, shocking. I think Scream is sick of being considered just stabs, and nobody's yeah. really afraid of stabs anymore. Uh-huh. You know? So we get some brutal stabs in this one yeah. and other things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tara proceeds to get stabbed several times, and that's the beginning of the movie. Modesto, California. <laughs> but I did write down, I was like, oh, so this movie wants to be way more violent and way more real. Oh, but look at that. The killer's still invincible. For sure. Yeah. But that's because this killer is smarter. she gets some good hits in, right? Yeah, but this killer is smarter, wearing protection. We know that this killer is wearing a bulletproof vest. That's right. We find out later. But you think she'd feel that... I forget how she hits him, but I felt like it was like, Jesus, can nothing harm this person? And it's crazy because she survived. She does survive. On purpose, we'll find out later. That is intentional. But she was stabbed several times. How is... I mean, we've already given it away. Sorry. How is Amber going to know where to stab that many times and keep her alive still? How is Amber going to know that she can get out in time before the cops show up? Did they need her to be alive? She needs to draw Sam back. Because Sam's the important one. Oh. And she needs to get involved with Sam. So it's better if Tara's still alive. I suppose that's true. I don't know. That, That is a really dumb oversight. 
We're going to see the 13 Reasons Why is in this movie, which okay, I didn't yeah. know. <laughs> well, first, we meet Sam in Modesto, and which is, which is where my great aunt used to live. She run, We find out that Sam ran away from home, and she could have gone fucking anywhere. And she went to Modesto, California, which, if you know anything about Modesto, is nowhere. <laughs> Sorry for all you folks living in Modesto. <laughs> We meet Sam and we meet Richie, her boyfriend, who's played by Jack Quaid, who's the kid of Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. And we introduce their relationship. Sam finds out that her sister got stabbed and so she needs to go back to Woodsboro and Richie demands to go back with her for support, emotional support. So now we're back and we meet 13 Reasons Why, which out of spite, we will continue to call him. It is Dylan Minnette, and he is 13 Reasons. That really pissed somebody off once that we say that That we refuse to call him by his name. Well, I'm sorry for all the name. Dylan Minnette stands out I there. I think they were upset because we weren't calling him by his character's name. But like this, what does the character name matter? This character's name does not matter. This character, all these characters don't matter. They are here just to be killed, which felt like another reason to put pair this with uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Well, their last names matter. Do they? Do these people matter? Well, yeah, every single one of them is, like, related to the original movies in some way or Are not. you sure? I thought it, they were just friends. Kelsey, did you watch the movie? They have a whole conversation about it. Oh, right. He's the son of, of the, the sheriff. sheriff. Yeah. But she's barely involved. She's she's from the sequels, which they point out in the movie. Don't worry, West. You're fine. Nobody they won't care about, the, about sequels. the sequel. Jesus, my mom is a character in one of them. No one cares about the shitty, inferior sequels, Wes. You're safe. But they do. <laughs> but they do. Yes, uh-huh. Anyway. So, yes, Dylan Minnette has bleach blonde tips now. Why? <laughs> Just why? I don't know. <laughs> They're having a conversation, and I forget what it is. I forget who says it. It might be Amber, but somebody at some point is like, what the fuck? And it's in response to somebody who says something so, like, oh, my God. And I was totally on the girl's side. And I'm pretty sure it is Amber, because later I was like, seriously, I had to be on your side. They look it out by the second or third killing. Jesus, Mindy, there wasn't a first killing. Tara's alive. Mm, I mean, she could still die. What the fuck? Where the killer could come back for her. Fuck, Mindy, come on. This is where I first wrote, oh no, the writing. Yeah. It's pretty bad here. Uh-huh. In this this is a great example of some lackluster writing. Some writing that's maybe a little bit heavy-handed. Of course, the boyfriend is going to go to the hospital because he finds out that she's awake. Well, he's not her boyfriend. He just has a big crush on her. Oh, I thought they were dating. I don't think they are. Oh. Because they're constantly teasing him about being concerned about Tara. Okay, so no guys are good enough for her, and now her family's off limits, too. Hmm, motive. If I can't have her, no one can. What? We all know you have a crush on Tara. Okay, come on, Mindy. Oh, yeah, because she doesn't really give a shit when he dies. (laughs) (laughs) Sam's the only one who finds out, right? Sam's the one who sees... Anyway, we'll get there. We got a lot of movie to get through here. <laughs> so they visit her in the hospital. It and- is kind of interesting. So her sister's boyfriend, Quaid. 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 Quaid is like, 
what is this what's this whole thing like what's the deal with stab and woodsboro and she she's explaining to him and he's like oh so like halloween (laughs) no not like halloween and he's like really because it sounds a lot like halloween a guy named billy loomis and his friend carved up a bunch of high school kids while wearing this halloween ghost mask you mean like in halloween no not like in halloween oh Sounds a lot like Halloween. All right, it's a little like Halloween. Okay. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really, really does. The I'm way glad that, the that, way that she describes it, it, she describes it in like one or two sentences, and yes. And I do love that the boyfriend is constantly like, "And we came here voluntarily. Like, yeah, maybe we should uh-huh. get the fuck out of no, here. No, we should not go to this place." And like, he is the voice of reason to a large extent in this movie. We see our first kill, which is done to the sound of the right red he- right red, red hand, right hand. Yes, which is it's not. It's diegetic. Kyle Calmer. It's Kyle Calmer. Oh yes. Okay. And he's in the movie for like five seconds. He and had he looks scenes cut terrible. out. He's supposed to look terrible. And I, why? Why is he in this movie? I was just like, I, Kyle Gallner, you deserve better than this. He really does. Kyle Gallner is a better actor than he gets in this movie. So he's the dickhead that's like watching it's live, right? Who cares? Which isn't surprising because, like, they talk about Liv like, oh, you're weird or whatever. And, like, she's obviously, like, the hot one of the group. (laughs) So I don't know, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're all attractive young people, right? (laughs) But, like, she's the one that's, like, explicitly, the, the, the visual keys are around her, like, attractiveness. So, like, I, it's weird that the the camera treats her one way and the script treats her completely differently. And I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, yes, Kyle Gallner is basically the white trash dickhead. He bothers them in the bar. What are these teenagers doing in a bar? Yeah, you kids, get out of here. Yeah, you kids, too. Wait a minute. You knew they were. What's going on here? <laughs> so he goes out and he goes to pee on the wall or something like that. And then there's the headlights. Looking at him, Red Right Hand is playing on the radio. Despite the fact that it was non-diegetic in the first movie, it is now diegetic in this coming out of his car radio. Yes, he realizes that it's his car. And when he goes up, there's nobody there. And when he's like looking around, what's going on? Ghostface just walks up and stabs him right in the neck. And he crawls along the floor like real fast. But it's It's not just through the neck. Like you see it come out the other end. It's, It's shocking. Yeah, right? It's like it's like this way, right? I, Isn't that that death? No, you're thinking of Dylan Minnette's death where it goes through his face. Yeah, but doesn't she do his like sideways? Like she I like don't it she, goes yeah, it's like up under his jaw. Yeah, like you can see it come you yeah. go see it go in and see it go out, I think. It either way, it is just a shocking death. Not particularly gruesome, but it's just like, oh my god. Kyle Gallner's dead already. Yeah. He was well, w- just introduced and now he's dead. He Just gets like Friday the 13th. He gets more than one scene, but he he got cut. Aww. He was supposed to get into a fight with Dewey, and they cut it for some reason. I don't know why. Poor Kyle. Yeah, poor Kyle Gardner. <laughs> I wrote, Jesus, that was quick and violent. Yes. Ah, oh, God. Are we Horror at Sam telling the truth? do not understand hospitals. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. But isn't that part of it now? It should be self At some point, they should say, where did everyone go? 
This is a hospital. How is this place not bustling twenty four seven? Supposed to be self aware, right? Come on, have have a moment, have a line, right? Where's all the hospital staff? What? <laughs> yes. like, come on, there are patients still in the building. <laughs> there would be nurses and doctors still there. <laughs> but also, she like goes into like okay. Hospitals have cafeterias so that people can She goes eat. into a break room. She goes room. into like a break room. And I'm like, are we in an office area now? Yeah. I, uh, uh, does not make sense. So she, is, are, is that what happens here? She gets attacked in the break room and the officer that's there checks it out and the break room's destroyed, but Ghostface is gone. I think that's what happens. We find out from the from the teenagers that Sam left soon as she turned 18 and that Tara still holds a grudge about that. So we get a moment <sighs> between Sam and Tara. So, of course, her name is Sam. Which may be a reference to... Not maybe. It is a reference. Just because of the name her, Sam? Well, because her last name is Loomis. No, it's not. It's Carpenter. Billy is her father. Oh, my God. You're right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we mentioned when we first watched Psycho that... Billy Loomis was a reference to uh, Dr. Loomis in Halloween and Sam Loomis, the boyfriend in Psycho, right? Because one is a reference of the other is a reference of the other, right? Mm -hmm. So the Psycho reference of Sam Loomis, then Dr. Samuel Loomis, and then there's Billy Loomis as a reference to that. We find out in this speech that Sam... Is the... We don't find it out here. We don't find out for a while, but... No, she admits it to Tara. It's a while. I think it's a while before they actually say. She sees Billy in the in her mind's eye. Right. And we don't know why. Right. And he keeps taunting her, like, when are you going to tell her? What's the deal? Right, but my next note is this is terrible acting, Sam telling Tara the truth. And then I don't believe Tara being mad at her. God, Sam oh, yeah, is terrible. Oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. What, what am I missing? Like I said, we find out that she sees Billy Loomis. And I actually thought that was really well done. I So did I. I liked that. Ski Ulrich looked incredibly good. Like, he's been acting this entire time. He's kept up with himself. Has he? He has. <laughs> TV and stuff. Good for him. Wasn't he in Jericho or some show like that? One of those shows. Anyway, he's wearing what he was wearing when he died. When he died. Which I, doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, he's a ghost now. He's <laughs> but, not a real ghost. But she, she also doesn't know what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doesn't make any sense. But it's for the audience. And he's, and I'm and he's fine bleeding and he has the same haircut. And I'm sure they did something to de-age him. They must have because he looks incredible. <laughs> <laughs> he looks a little older, but he doesn't look I just thought fucking coloring, 30 years older. <laughs> I thought the coloring looked very, like... They filmed it differently Maybe. than how they filmed Maybe. this. Anyway, yeah, he is taunting her and he says, you know, when are you going to tell her why all this is happening? And that's why I wrote, how does she know Billy? Why is Billy <laughs> but the, the truth is, is that, yes, Billy is her dad. She is the illegitimate son of Billy and some other girl at the school, I guess, who they never name. Well, because that's probably the next one, I'm sure. Well, that's their mom. I'm sure she's going to come right. up in the next one. But the mom, we never see the mom in the entire movie. Where's mom? She's stuck at a conference in London. But anyway, so her name's Sam Carpenter. She's actually Sam Loomis. It completes that connection. <laughs> Whereas Billy Loomis produced 
Sam Loomis. <laughs> Jesus. That never even occurred to me. I'm so glad you got that. But I specifically wrote down that when she's in the hospital, she answers the phone from an unknown number. I was like, who? I never, ever, Who ever. in this day and age answers an unknown number? Leave a voicemail. Yeah, if you're somebody I know, you're either going to leave a voicemail or you're going to text me. It, right. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Again, I wrote down, ooh, why is the writing and acting not very good? <laughs> in particular, it's Sam. Sam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is where she Ooh, boy. with her sister. Trying to cry and look genuine. <laughs> Explaining that your dad is not my dad. Right. I'm the reason your dad left when he found out that I was not his child. Right. I was looking through mom's diaries in the attic for some reason, and I discovered that I was actually Billy Loomis's daughter, and when I came downstairs and confronted her with it, I didn't realize that dad was behind me, and that's how he found out, because he didn't know, and that's why he left, so I'm why our parents divorced. So I started doing drugs, and then I left. And then I left as soon as I could. And I I went out, and I started doing every drug that I could get my hands on until I couldn't take it anymore, and I left out. I just couldn't be around you anymore, Tara. Not only because I destroyed our family that night, but because those diaries told me who my real father was. It was Billy Loomis. And somebody knows. And I think that's why you got hurt. And I'm so fucking sorry that I never told you and then I ran away. I'm so sorry. Get out. Tara. You're gone for five years. Five whole years, and then I get stabbed, and you want to come back, and you want to drop all this shit on me? No, I swear I thought I was protecting you. Protecting me from what? The truth? No. No, I... uh, Sam. Please, Tara. Sam, I need you to get the fuck out. I'm so sorry. Sam. Please. Get the fuck out! Tara's, like, super pissed off at her, and I wrote down... I don't believe it. I don't believe Tara being mad at her. And they try to, like, turn it around later on when they reconcile to say that she wasn't mad about her leaving mom. She wasn't mad about her leaving Woodsboro. She wasn't mad about their parents splitting up. She was mad about leaving her. I still don't believe it. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because Tara can't sell it. (laughs) But... I don't, none of this social interaction here is, is, is hitting home for me. Yeah, I wrote down, this is super overly dramatic. Yes. And it doesn't feel real. And I wrote down, wow, a lot more fucks. Because the sister says fuck a lot. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, no. And then we have a terrible scene. I thought this scene was wretched with Dewey. Okay. I, I, well, I thought Dewey's fine. Where he does the, the rules. I was like, oh, no. I did not like the way they David did. Arquette? Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, the interaction that they had. Is this your boyfriend? How long have you known him? <laughs> like, that was fun. I liked that. Don't trust the love interest. Yeah. Like, <laughs> telling you right then and there. And I was like, holy shit, did they just tell us who the killer is again? Yes, they, they did. did. They really, really did. But the point is, is, you're supposed to spread blame around. Everyone gets blamed at some point in the movie. Maybe. But yes, Dewey says, don't trust the love interest. But anyway, yeah, they go to visit him, and he's in a bad way. He's no longer sheriff. Deputy Hicks is now Sheriff Judy Hicks, 13 Reasons' mom. 
and he's not sheriff anymore because he was asked to retire and uh, he is watching Gail on Good Morning America or some shit in the morning. But he hasn't spoken to her in a couple of years. Right. So they have a conversation and he's basically like, lady, I've been stabbed to Sam. I've been stabbed like nine times. Uh, I don't need to get involved in this. You, good luck. You know, like one of those sorts of things and sends them on their way. Just trying to give them advice, and then you can take care of yourself. I'm not getting involved again. I'm not stepping in. And then he proceeds to text Gail. A text? Gail? A text? Ow. Well, tell me the killer's back in a text? Ow, that hurts. Good. <laughs> Which is great. Like, a lot of the original cast is still really good, despite what's written for them being bad. Mm-hmm. Ghostface is back. Don't come here. And then he realizes that that's kind of curt. And he says, hope you're doing well. Might smiley be. face. <laughs> I love that he's like, shouldn't have said the smiley face. I sent that bitch a smiley face. Bitches love smiley faces. But then he actually calls Sydney. Yes. Who we find out that she has kids, but that won't really be that important. Yeah, she refers to him by name, and I think it's, um, uh, what's his face? McDreamy? From the uh, previous movie? Oh. Were they together in the last one? I think they they were there was a love. I don't remember four hardly at all. Yeah, or was it three that that happens no, and then it carries three over into four? Boyfriend, her boyfriend dies in three. No, that's two. You're right. That is two. I don't know. He was in a previous one, <laughs> and she refers to him by name. How are you? How's Mark? I think I'll keep him. She says I'll keep him or whatever you know. And so I think it is a reference to what the fuck is that guy's name? What is McDreamy's name? Patrick Dempsey, <laughs> whatever he was, whatever, whatever scream Patrick Dempsey was in, three is the winner from 2000. So they are still together 20 years later. And I guess they have kids now. <laughs> but he tells her that something feels different about this one, which I'm like, well, how? How yeah, does how? this one feel different? You uh-huh. just heard about it just now. Yeah. What are you talking about? It's not great writing. Not great writing. But he ends up changing his mind, also telling Sid not to come back. Do you have a gun? I just want you to be safe up there. Do you have a gun? I'm Sidney fucking Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Apparently that was her idea. Good for To put her. that line in. <laughs> um, but he does have a change of heart. And he shows up when they're all going to meet with everyone, all of Tara's friends, to discuss what's going on. Oh, I again wrote down, I hate this writing, and oh, Jesus, this acting this is, is just getting worse. This is the, there are rules if you want to survive a horror movie uh, scene with the twins. So we have Mindy and Chad are the twins. Mindy and Chad are the twins, played by Jasmine Savoy Brown, who we know from Leftovers. And she's fine in this. There are parts where I'm like, eh, really? You're laying it on a little thick here, aren't you? And other times when I'm like, oh, she's very charming. Chad's whatever. I don't really think anything about Chad. But the point is, is that their last name is Meeks Martin because their mom is Martha Meeks, Randy Meeks' sister. If you remember from Scream 3, Heather Matarazzo shows up and gives them a tape of Randy, and we find out that she's Randy's sister. So she's back in this one yes. as their mom. Ah. So there's a shrine to Randy in the house. Aww. 
and Mindy like kisses her hand and then, and then touches the the shrine or whatever. They love Randy, their uncle. Oh, yeah. that's so cute. <laughs> I did not notice that. There's a big picture of Randy on the mantle. I did not notice that. <laughs> They're having this terrible conversation about how bad all the reboots are or whatever. And I wrote down, I liked the child's play reboot. Right. Okay, so here's here's the line about how it's about requels. Mindy says, you can't just reboot a franchise from scratch anymore. The fans won't stand for it. Black Christmas. Yes. <laughs> uh, child's play. And that's where Kelsey's like, oh, <laughs> the remake wasn't that bad. Like, if you take it in isolation, that was actually it's good. actually all right. Yeah. Flatliners. I'm like, really? Flatliners? We, we did not see the remake. But still, Flatliners? Yeah, not a very, that's kind of on the obscure Weird. Side. Why not like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, that shit doesn't work. Goes on to talk about how now they're not quite a reboot, not quite a sequel, like the new Halloween, Saw, Terminator, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, fuck even Star Wars. It always, always goes back to the original. And that's the new rule, because we've had rules for horror movies, we've had rules for sequels, now we're at rules for requels. The rule is it always goes back to the original. There's a great line in here where 13 Reasons says to Dewey. What about Deputy Dewey here? Maybe he's the killer. No offense. None taken, but what's my motive? You got stabbed a billion times, got dumped by your famous wife, and crawled into a bottle. I think it's safe to say you're on the suspect list. (laughs) Dewey says, well, maybe you're the killer. Because that cut deep. Yes, more of that, please. <laughs> Love David Arquette. Love him. This is where they tell Sam that she is the star of someone's fan fiction, which, yes, this is pretty much exactly what's happening here. Uh-huh. So, yeah, going by the pattern, whoever it has, whoever it is has to be connected to someone that came before, and that's why we start learning about all these connections. Everyone's related to somebody. According to Regal rules, who's next? Going by the pattern, whoever it is has to be connected to someone that came before. I'm starting to regret coming here. Jesus, my mom is a character in one of them. No one cares about the shitty, inferior sequels, Wes. You're safe. With Randy as our uncle, though, you and I are probably screwed. Wait, what? Or you're the killer, and this whole, what, elaborate monologue is just to cover your tracks. (laughs) 13 Reasons is about to die. Yep. So... He's the one that's most prepared, but being prepared doesn't do en- like it doesn't enter into the story at all. Like it does, he has a confrontation with Ghostface, and it doesn't matter that he was prepared. Just kind of a I don't know a dropped ball. It would have been fun to see him, I don't know, be prepared in some way, and it still fail, right? But no, his mom tells him to go take a shower. She's gonna do something. Go get food. Right. Sushi. Oh, sushi, right. I don't wanna I don't wanna door dash it or whatever because it gets all squishy by the time it gets here. <laughs> and you so hate good. that. So he goes upstairs and we get to see him topless taking a shower. Meanwhile, she's gonna go get sushi and then she gets a call. What's your favorite scary movie? Kelsey, do you remember what she said? <laughs> I love her response. I prefer animated films and music. Yeah. <laughs> awesome which is great but she's already turned around she's already dispatched officers to her house she will still get there before they do 
And he is, we're still sort of voyeuristically watching him. He's getting out of the still shower. Still doing his hair. Like, there's, oh, right. too, yeah. there's like way too many shots of him washing <laughs> his hair. I'm like, how many times does he wash it? But this scene is is a lot of building up the fact that he could die at any moment. Any moment. So we're going to get a lot of him opening a door, like to a fridge, and then closing it again. And then nothing's there. But, like, you know, it's framed in such a way where something is going to be there. That happens, like, three times. But while they show the fridge... Oh, yeah. It's fucked up. The fridge is... the the. In order to get the shot... In order to get the shot, he has to open up the freezer. And they have the freezer on the wrong side so that it, it, so that it works in their shot. And I'm just like, ah! Right. Yeah. That's not how fridges <laughs> it's work. fucked with our brains. Yeah. Yeah, but there's several different doors he opens and, and goes faces behind any of them. That's because when Judy comes out of her car and runs up the, the lawn to get to her son, Ghostface is hiding on, like, the front steps or something waiting for her and kills her. I also noted that as soon as he got out of the shower, suddenly his hair's all done. I was like, well, yeah, that's uh-huh, nice. Yeah. How long does it take your mom to get sushi? <laughs> So she dies, and there's still nothing for him until he realizes that the door is open. And instead of opening it up to see his dying mom, he does the smart thing and closes it. <laughs> this time, because we've had a we've had a rule of threes, right? There's a there's a setup, there's a reinforcement, and then there needs to be a subversion, right? There isn't a subversion in our third time. And so it's building that it keeps building this tension. And then now it's like, okay, finally, now we know his dead mom is outside that door. He's going to open it and that will be our subversion. No, he just closes the door and that's how they subvert it. And I thought that was actually pretty clever. Also, he killed a woman in the middle of the day and then just left her dead body out there and nobody noticed. Like, right. Nothing happened. <laughs> and, and enough time for for Ghostface to go inside, be there after he's closed the door and kills him by putting the knife through his neck. And I was uh-huh. like, again, with the, the knife through. going through skin. Okay. Yeah. It's a little bad CGI. They have the problem with CGI knives all the time. They're a little too, like, softly lit than everything else that's around them. It's a bummer when you don't get the lighting right on CGI elements like that, because it's very obvious. But it is very brutal, and he dies that way, because Ghostface is already inside. They get into a little fight, and then, yeah, stabbed through the face, and pretty fucked up. It's after this, that's when Dewey shows up to find to look at the body. That's when Gail Weathers is going to show up to yep. do a piece, and she gets mad at him, you know. And text? And he's like, I tried to be with you where you were. And she was like, you tried for two months, and then you came back to Woodsboro. That's not trying. And she's more, right, that's not trying. More talk between two people who are divorced in real life about why their relationship didn't work. Yeah. Which they've done before, because they were they were on the rocks in part four. That's true. And they get back together, I think, right? And then, so. yeah, and so they got to break them back up again. And so, like, the movies sort of follow the trajectory of their relationship pretty closely. You know, they meet, they start flirting in the first one, and that actually happened in real life, and then they get married, and, you know, like, so they still have to be broken up in this one. And I, I thought it was a good line at the end of their conversation where... Because they seem very dramatic with each other and all that. And then he makes kind of a quip, you know, oh, I'm sure she'll make a great chapter in your next book. Because uh-huh. she's like, I have to go talk to the person, the girl who got stabbed. Yeah. So this is when Sam will show up? 
Not I forget sure why. why she knows she needs to, yeah, but she but does. She does, and she's like, what the fuck? That cop was supposed to be watching my sister. You you abandoned your post. And he's like, I heard the sheriff was here. But what he doesn't say is there's still a cop there. We will see like one or maybe even two we'll dead one cops. one cop is dead. Right. But no administration anywhere. Nobody knows what's going uh-huh. on. We'll also see Richie... Reading up, he's been watching the stab movies this entire time. Yes, catching on Netflix. up, and he'll even watch. There's a dead meat cameo here. You know the kill count guys who have gotten huge recently were married. They're in this. They get a cameo where we see a scene from Stab Eight where Ghostface is wielding a flamethrower, and he says, "This is lit." That, that shit is lit. That's apparently Matthew Lillard. Awesome. As doing the voice of that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. But the point is, is that the Stab franchise has gone off the rails and it gets absolutely ridiculous. And so now we're thinking of it less like Scream and more like Nightmare and Friday. Mm -hmm. When we cut to Sam's sister, she is watching Dawson's Creek, which I thought was hilarious. Is it? Oh, right. Because we hear fucking what's his face talking. (laughs) What's his name? Pacey. Is there a Pacey? Yeah, one of them's Pacey. Right, but I mean, is it him? Is it not? Is it is it Joshua Jackson and not? Uh, yeah, he's Dawson. I don't Dawson. want your Joshua Jackson is Pacey. Yeah, the other one is Dawson. Yeah, uh huh. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Pacey. <laughs> she something happens and she like gets scared and so she like forces herself to get up and move even though it's really painful she gets yeah. herself into a, a wheelchair, wheelchair yeah. and forces herself to use her hand even oh, though her, her leg hand's gets, like caught up. in her sheet which i thought was very real and effective but yeah again she goes through these empty hallways which are at least empty for a reason cuz people have been killed this is when sam's boyfriend is going to show up and it seems very Odd that he just happens to be there. And he says, well, your sister she calls called him, me and yeah, told uh-huh. me to come. I think that really did happen. And so he shows up and then he gets attacked by Ghostface. And he's Ghostface is just about to barrel down on him and he's talking to Sam on the phone. Ghostface is saying, I'm about to kill either your, your sister or your boyfriend. Pick. Choose which one or I kill them both or whatever, you know. And... There's a cheesy fucking. It's okay if there's one or two of these lines in a movie, but like every single fucking interaction, there has to be one of these. I was just stalling for time. I'm secretly very clever. Or this is my movie, dickhead. Or like any of like those kind of movies. Or maybe I'm just stalling for time, fuckhead. <laughs> But yes, that is what we get, is that she was just stalling for time so she, they can get up the elevator. Which at first I was like, really? You're going to take the elevator? But then I realized Dewey has a limp. And they shoot Ghostface. Yeah, but then Dewey is like, you got to make sure that you get him in the head. Or and they he, always come back. And he's right, because this one is wearing a, a bulletproof vest. But, but Sam says, Dewey, who gives a fuck? Dewey says, I do. And it's very sweet. Just for him to die. So that sucks. Well, they needed a... This, this movie has stakes. That's what Amber says later, is that our movie's gonna have stakes. I was very mad that they killed him. But that's... that's So they do kind of make Sydney and Gale invincible in this movie. And so I guess to make up for that, they have to kill Dewey off. 
I don't know. It's kind of annoying how invincible the other two remaining characters are. I don't know that they are invincible. They get, like, stabbed and shot, like, repeatedly. Oh, I hate at the end that they're not in any kind of pain. Yeah, that's kind of bullshit. Did you not get hurt at all? But they still all have to have multiple hero moments. And it's, that's what's, I think, very frustrating. But the point is, is that he's going to shoot Ghostface in the head and ends up getting a call from who? Huh? And it just happens to come at the right time, so he hesitates, and that's when Ghostface stabs him, and then they have a fight, and then he kills Dewey. Sucks. In this case, we know it's Amber. Meanwhile... They're getting Tara out of there. I guess Amber's having a giant party? Yeah. While her friends are... Well, because they know that 13 Reasons is dead, and it's Celebration of Life. That's for 13 reasons. I do love Sam's boyfriend is like, who throws a party when there's a serial killer on the list? <laughs> like, exactly. Like that. Yes, that's the problem here. But I guess the point and is he has that keen insight kids, into that. <laughs> yeah. But I guess the point is that kids will party no matter what. And I guess that's actually pretty it's fucking kind true. Of true. Yeah. And so when Tara realizes in the car, they're just going to get the fuck out of Woodsboro. Tara realizes she doesn't have her inhaler and that she's going to need it. That they can't just go to a drugstore because they'll need a prescription. And so her extra inhaler is at Amber's house. And Richie's like, uh-uh, no, absolutely not. We are not going to a gathering of people in the woods in the dark. Mm-hmm. That is certainly not going to happen, but they need it because she needs her inhaler. We will later find out that Richie, all he had to do was just take the inhaler. Mm-hmm. And they, he knew that Amber had the other one. So she would be forced to go there. Mm-hmm. Also, I was just like, seriously, this is supposed to be a house party? Come on. A high school house party. Like, so many things were going on. It just, it had that party energy, that movie party energy. Yes. And I'm just like, come on, Scream. Uh-huh. I thought the point of this was to be realistic. Right. At one point, Amber is asked to go get beer in from the from the basement, which felt very much like the first, didn't feel like it. It is the same thing that happens in the first movie. Except that nobody dies here. When she goes down to do that, the twin girl, what's her, Mindy, Mindy yeah. is like, how could you do that? What an idiot. Only an idiot would go down by themselves. And she's like, okay. How do so I know you're not a killer? You, you come with me, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, like, and they have kind of a cute back and forth. But they're both be- acting very suspiciously. Uh-huh. Oh, you, oh, fuck. We skipped a bit here, and it's a little bit important because I want to comment on one thing. It's probably my fault we skipped it. They're still at the hospital for a while because Dewey dies here, and Gail's going to find out, and Sydney's going to show up, and so Sydney's going to meet Sam for the first time and try to give her advice and try to pep her up and be like, no, we need to kill Ghostface. It needs to end. You can't just run away. He will find you. Trust me. I tried. Trust me. You need to kill him. And Sam's like, nope, fuck you. I'm just getting my sister and I'm getting out of here. And one of the biggest problems I had with this moment is it it kind of showed, I don't know if it's the direction or the editing, but there's a lot of cutting between people and conversations that's very disorienting and it breaks its own rhythm that it established. And it's not on purpose because these aren't those sorts of conversations where you might want to be disorienting, but it like it cuts a little bit before somebody talks 
So we just see them look and then it cuts back to the other person right as the person we were just looking at is about to talk. And so it's like it's off rhythm with the conversation in a way that makes it very, very disorienting. And and Sam talking to Gail after Dewey dies uh, is one of those moments. And Sam talking to Sydney at the car outside the hospital when Sam's like, no, we're just leaving. And so it doesn't help that Sam's not a good actress. Like that makes it even worse. I don't know, can she not maintain the rhythm of a conversation and they're trying to edit around that? Is that what's happening? I don't know. There's no way to know. (laughs) But I wanted to make sure we got to that. So, back at the party. The twin boy is about to hook up with the other girlfriend uh, that we haven't really talked about. Liv, yeah. But she's like, you want to go upstairs and have sex? And he's like, well, you could be the killer, so no. And she's like, what the fuck? And she leaves. And I mean, he's got a point. Yeah, no, he totally does. <laughs> and after she leaves, um, a little while later, he's like, I wonder where she went. And Mindy's like, she's probably dead. And I was just like, that is hilarious. That is, yeah. that is me right there. It is also, yeah, it's a very brother-sister sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So he gets up to go outside, and she's like, at least take a fucking weapon. I was like, me. And he gets a candlestick. Like a giant candlestick with with no candle. A candlestick that's going to be taken again, so I'm going to have to go back and see where there are two candlesticks, the exact same kind. I know there was stuff there. I didn't realize that there were two. They showed you that there were two. Of course there's two. Who just has one gigantic candlestick by itself? Who keeps a candlestick out without candles in it? We have candlestick holders without candlesticks in them. But we don't have a big expensive house that's fully furnished. (laughs) I think these are more decorative than anything else. It is in this moment because... Mindy is watching the first Stab movie that it becomes very obvious, if you haven't noticed yet, Uh, that this is Stu's house from the original. Not subtle. And framed in the exact same way, and you can see the exact same walls. It is Stu's house. We'll find out that the reason that Amber got so into the Stab movies in the first place is because she found out that the house that her family moved into was Stu's house. Which I get it. That'd be super interesting if that was me, too. totally. But... Sort of thing that needed to be disclosed. I don't know that that means that you turn into a murderer. Right. That seemed a little bit off the mark. But anyway, I hated it because in the original Scream, it was great. Jamie sitting there talking to Jamie on screen, having the killer come up behind him. Like, I thought that was really well done. Here, not so much. It's just like... She's watching the stab movie now, and he like it's so yeah. meta, and I'm just like, ah, stop it! We don't need this. Uh huh. I feel you, but they're in the same place, and I think the payoff, if you don't know, is pretty exciting. Like when they roll up and they and and they realize what house it is, which I I think only happens when Gail and and Sydney roll up later because they put a tracker on Sam's car that they realize that's when it's revealed to the audience that it's Stu's house. But by that point, we've had several moments where it's like, if you've even seen the original, if you've, if it's been in the zeitgeist at all, you've seen that shot, it should be at least a little bit familiar to you. There are plenty of opportunities to just give that away before this big reveal. And like when Ghostface says Tara's name and there's this sting and it feels like, wait, why? Wrong time for the sting. It's similar here where we get the sting when they find out that it's Stu's house. But I was already having a conversation with you about that before that happened, about how, oh, it's kind of neat that they got Stu's house again. You know, that's pretty interesting. And I was trying to figure out why they were there or whatever. And 
And then it's like the movie's like, you didn't notice, but this has been Stu's house the entire time. It's like, no, I did. It's not just me bragging. I'm like, I feel like you made it obvious. I think they were just more confirming it than anything else. I guess, yeah. But a whole bunch of stuff happens. It doesn't really matter. They They, shut down the party. They realize they've made, they're going into a trap. They understand this. So everyone's out. Richie gets his moment where he has to be the dickhead millennial or whatever. And, uh... Yes. And kick all the Gen Zers out. There's a great moment where he turns to Mindy. He's looking for beer. And I'm like, why are you looking for beer? You're just trying to find the inhaler and get out of there. Why would you, Richie, the nerd who's the voice of reason, now be searching a house for a beer to have? Doesn't make any sense. We'll find out later. Well, because he needs to be gone for this next moment. (laughs) Um, And he has this fun little interaction with Mindy where he's like, do you want to come with me? And she's like, no, but you were right to ask. (laughs) Hi. Uh, Do you know if there's any beer left? There's none in the kitchen. Yes, Richie, there's beer in the basement. Right behind you. Basement. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to come with me? (laughs) No, but you were right to ask. Yeah. Okay, I'll be right back. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's dead. Which was kind of cute. That's the kind of meta I was fine with. I didn't need that Mindy watching Randy in the Stab movie watching Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Mm -hmm. Like, that's too many refractions there. It's the it's the Christmas tree ornament that Chris hates. <laughs> the Christmas tree song. Oh my god, that's a reference no one will get. If you know what Will Vinton's claymation Christmas celebration is, a bunch of claymation segments based around Christmas stories and songs. There's one where it just like the camera goes into this tree ornament and then it's all abstract and shit and it's like multiple layers and it goes into this tree ornament where there's a house and then it goes into the house where there's a tree and then like yeah. It keeps going into every ornament Chris doesn't <laughs> like it. It's a boring one. <laughs> oh tr- Christmas tree. Oh Christmas tree. Santa's tree. <laughs> it's not a good song. It's a terrible song. I happen to like that song. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> This is when we find out that the boyfriend is also one of the killers. Yeah, they're so... Okay, so What's-His-Face dies. The twin brother dies. Mindy gets attacked the same way Randy does. And he almost dies. When Gail and Sydney show up, Amber's outside. Oh, I got stabbed! He, the killer's inside! And they're like, they get that moment where, oh, we get to be clever. It's like, people trying to be Joss Whedon. Nobody should try to be Joss Whedon. For many reasons, not the least of which, because he's an asshole. <laughs> but, but like, Im- imitation Joss Whedon dialogue is really bad. Yes, it is. So, like, this, do you think it's a trap? I think it's a trap. And they pull out their guns on Amber, and Amber's like, ah, oh, fuck it! <laughs> she, she... Shoots the, at them. Yes. You know, and that's when Gail gets shot. So there's a bunch of fights. And at one point, Sam falls down over the railing, I think with Sydney or something. And Richie's coming down. He's been stabbed. 
And he's stumbling down, trying to get to the gun. Sydney's like, get to the gun, get to the gun. And he finds Sam and he's like, Sam, you aren't hurt, are you? You're okay? Oh, I'm glad to hear that because stab! I wanted to be the one to kill you. I really wanted to be the one to kill you. Yeah. And Which is where we get the... An all right reveal! Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we get the obnoxious conversation <laughs> where it's just like, we've been laughed at for something we love. And I'm just like... Okay, see, this was I, this kind of feels like you're making fun of me for liking your movie so much. No, they're making fun of toxic fandoms. The problem is the collateral damage of your toxic fandoms are the non-toxic fandoms as well. Toxic fandoms fucking suck. It's why whenever I say, oh, yeah, no, I love Rick and Morty, I have to qualify it and be like, but I'm not that kind of Rick and Morty fan. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I'm a gamer, but I'm not that kind of gamer. You know what I, Like, that's what it, it's so... Well, here we are again, having to be like, yeah, I'm a Scream horror movie fan, but I'm not that kind of fan, I guess. It seems so ridiculous because it's such a niche thing to be into, specifically horror movies, and to specifically, ha like, be so into it that people would make fun of you for it. Like, you have to be in hardcore deep, and it's just like... I, that makes me want to take a step away from your movie because it's like you're you're getting into my territory here and you're saying that right. this is what I'm like and I'm not. Right. I mean, that's the problem is that this movie is going to your people watching this movie are going to be predominantly horror fans. Now, I will grant you in the general public, horror fans aren't that common. Surprisingly so. Like horror movies do really well. But they're watched often, a lot of times by people who maybe aren't necessarily horror fans. They're but date we're, movies. We're five movies into the Scream franchise. You're going to have a lot of horror movie fans watching this. It's date and friend movies. But, like, at work or whatever, when people find out I have a horror movie co uh, podcast, they're like, oh, I, I can't watch horror movies. Like, to a person, like, so many people just don't watch horror movies. I prefer animated movies and music. Exactly. A lot of people are Sheriff Judy Hicks. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like, yeah, the people that are watching this movie are going to be people that at least like horror movies. Mm -hmm. So you're increasing the odds that you hit one of those people with your collateral damage <laughs> of making your villains horror movie fans. They're just bad horror movie fans. I mean, I guess you could say they're doing the same thing with... All the movies, but it just didn't feel like, it felt like this was attacking. Well, it's, yes, <laughs> because the points that the horror movie fans make in Amber and Richie aren't necessarily bad points. They're like, Stab 8, fucking Ghostface has a flamethrower, the movies have gotten ridiculous and now they suck. And it's like, yeah, that's how I feel about those franchises. I can still have fun with them. But they, they turned into bad movies. And, oh, when they make these remakes, it's just a quick cash-in, and the story sucks, and the writing's bad. And it's like, yeah, it really is. So what's distinguishing a toxic fandom from a, a non-toxic <laughs> fandom, a washable fandom, you know, uh, a Crayola fandom, <laughs> is are you going to do anything harmful to somebody else over it? Right? Are you going to be mean to somebody else? Are you going to hurt somebody else? Are you going to make things difficult for other people that are just minding their own business? Like, that's sort of what makes a toxic fandom a toxic fandom. But all the points that your villains are making are legitimate points. 
And I'm fucking tired of the, well, really, the villain's right. Like, I'm tired of those movies. Can we not have them anymore? Oh, actually, Thanos is right that we're overpopulation and we're destroying resources. And, and if you Thanos don't do is that, really right then, if you think if you about don't do it. That, then the character's not complex and the character's not interesting. But it's every single fucking villain now. Are you asking for flat characters? No, but it's to the point that now we got to make them heroes. I don't think we have to make them heroes. The Joker, the Joker is the most financially successful uh, DC movie in history. And I think everyone sees the problems that come with what he, what he models. And what are the first people online that you will avoid? People with Joker avatars, right? (laughs) Like it's. Those are the worst people that are like, nah, I'm the Joker. Nah. He's my spirit animal. No, fuck you. <laughs> He's a villain. But but when you build them up, it's like, no, they're actually right. They're just going about it wrong. Yeah. And I'm bored of it. I'm done. I'm bored. Again, what do you want? You want... Just evil, maniacal, I am evil for no good reason characters? No, you can give them good reasons, but they can be reasons that I disagree with. (laughs) What? What do you mean, what? How can you have a good reason if it's not a reason you agree with? A compelling reason or a reason that makes sense and not just be because I'm insane, you know, or I'm a monster. I don't know what you want. You ha- you're telling me you haven't noticed this trend towards I don't have a problem making with villains it. like this, but it's every villain now. Yeah, and I'm better with that than, like I said, than with just a one. The problem note is ele- one note, one note character. The problem is what they end up doing is they take good causes that make sense and then attach them to villains. That's my problem. When we watch TV shows like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and the bad guys are people that want to make sure that everyone is fed, and we stop having wars, and that we should take care of each other. But in order to do that, they got to kill a couple people along the way. And so now they're the villains now wanting to make sure people are fed and wanting to make sure that there aren't any wars and saying that borders between countries fucking suck and that people should be able to travel freely around the world. Now, that's the point of view of a fucking villain. And you've just made good ideas toxic. That's my problem. And that's what they're doing here. But I feel like you're, you'd be an idiot to feel that way. I think there are that plenty of idiots that feel a, that way. I think they're making the point of, yes, these are all things that we should be concerned about. Let's think of a better way to deal with them. But they don't. They just defeat the villains. They don't think of a better way to deal with it. They Except do in the Black Panther. In Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's like, you guys should be a little bit more responsible, Senator. Like, come on. What's that going to do? What actually is that going to do? They decide to share their... Uranium with the world. Vibranium. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess. I guess that's a point. Black Panther does it. (laughs) But that's that's a good point of another villain that's like, yeah, he's right. And it's one of the rare cases where interacting with the villain makes the hero go, shit, he was right. I mean, he was a dickhead, so I had to stop him. But I'm going to do what he wanted us to do. Exactly. Right. Like, that. that's what it has to do. But they don't do that in most movies. They just, well, this is another villain I have to defeat with villainous ways and villainous ideas. And it's like, yeah, we've made the villain compelling, but now we've inextricably linked 
their opinions to their actions. And since their actions are villainous, now their opinions are the opinions of a villain. And that's a problem. Anyway, the villainous opinion here is stop disrespecting established franchises by just trying to cash in and mm-hmm. try to make a good fucking movie. <laughs> Is that really so much to ask? Yeah, well, you don't have to make that point by killing people, I think, is the point the movie but, is yeah, making. That, this is my thing, though. In order to say that, now they've linked these two, and now killers think that. Let us make our horrible cash-in movies. I was really annoyed that he somehow knew. I mean, I guess they're boyfriend-girlfriend, but, like, they haven't been dating that long. They make that point. And he somehow knows that she sees her dead father that she has no idea what he fucking looks like yeah <laughs> it really bothered me that he knew that she sees she him. no she to- yeah you're right she told him on this trip to woodsboro that she is billy loomis's daughter so how would he have known about that beforehand in order to get her involved is there an answer out there maybe I don't know. That's the next movie's problem. What I'm left with is how did he know that before she told him? Her telling him makes it clear that he shouldn't know. And if he does, he must have found out some other way. And how did he find out? I don't remember if they said. If they say, I'll put it here. Nope. As a matter of fact, all he says is that it didn't take him that long to track her down in Modesto. He never says how he knew that she saw her dad before she told him and more importantly how did he know that she was the daughter of billy loomis because obviously it wasn't some big unkept secret because tara didn't know wouldn't she have already known the big secret and wouldn't had to have been revealed earlier in the movie if it was some big known out there in the universe so how did he know either of those two things it's such a bummer that they even included that That's a good point. How do they know? The only person who knew, literally the only person who knew, was her mom. For the longest time, until the divorce. And then the dad knew? Maybe he found out through the dad somehow? I don't fucking know. Who knows? Who knows? It's a question that the movie sets up and never answers. Maybe Loomis knew, and he told Stu... And Stu told someone, and that's how they found out. Right, but again, Richie has no connection to any of these people. He meets Amber through a message board or some shit. Yeah, because she lives in the house, so she's posting about that. Right. But Sam says to him, you did all this just to make me the hero of your fucked up movie. And he says, sweetie, you're not the hero. Sweetie, you're not the hero. You're the villain. The daughter of Billy Loomis who sees fucked up visions of her dead dad? Sidney Prescott killed your father. You did all this just to get her back to Woodsboro. Part of all of this is that the killers need to look like victims and set up a different person as the killer. Which is kind of Ca- what they try to do in screen. every single one. Right, that's yeah. my point. It's classic screen. So I'm totally fine. I love this, actually. I'm really into that. Uh, and But much in the same way as we just watched in Friday the 13th, we have uh, a kid who is attached to a killer who sees him in his visions 
and by the end of the movie is tr- they're trying to set him up as the new killer who's finally gone off the deep end and that's what Richie is trying to do to Sam here it's almost as if they were literally thinking of a new beginning when they came up with that idea like it's that close i cannot believe that we just sort of lucked into that connection well, it's the fifth one. And they do make a mention. They <laughs> yes, do, they do yeah, mention that point. it's the fifth one. It's a good point. Oh, man. Amber does all this shit. It's not my fault. I'm a dumb kid. I just wanted to be part of something. You killed my best friend. Yeah, and he died like a pussy. Oh, right. Oh, she gets hit on the head with the... And they had to point it out. Amber gets hit in the head with hand sanitizer that they had out because there was a party during a pandemic i guess there's hand sanitizer she gets hit in the face and she's like really the fucking hand sanitizer, fucking hand sanitizer. <laughs> and she has to say that out loud so the audience knows that because later when she's gonna bump into the stove and turn it on which no stove in the history of time has ever turned on just from turning the dial you got to sit it there and have it click as the gas comes out before <laughs> it'll start right? <laughs> everyone who's ever used a stove knows this <laughs> But anyway, it is lit, and later when she falls face first into it, she's going to go up in flames. Well, right around this point, right before that, I I guess I was very annoyed, because I wrote down, can we just kill her? The writing, the music, it all needs yes, to this stop. this is all terrible. Like, <laughs> we've kind of pointed out the good parts, right? Like, turning Richie into the villain was good. I liked that. His idea for setting up Sam, I liked that. I'm fine that they up the stakes to kill Dewey, despite the fact that our other two heroines are invincible. They get repeatedly shot and stabbed. I did not like that. And now it's just a hero moment after hero moment. We just need scene after scene of everyone gets their quip. Everyone gets their fuck you, dickhead. You know, like those sorts of things, you know, where it's just like, no, we need our Joss Whedon line. And it's just so annoying. Oh, I hated the last line. The boyfriend is like, what about my ending? And she's like, here it is, or here it comes, or whatever. And then she stabs him. And I was like, seriously? Well, we get that moment where she starts going crazy and repeatedly stabs him. And there have been those conversations in court before about what counts as self-defense. Fuck that shit. Like, if you continue to stab somebody after they've already been incapacitated to the point where they die, is that just murder at that point? My response would be, I've seen enough horror movies to know they always come back. (laughs) Sure. But for the audience, it's, has she actually gone over the deep end this time? And she even wipes the blade off like Ghostface does. That's right. Yes, she does. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Gail and Sydney have a conversation about who wants to do the honors on Amber. Where they'd stop and have a chat, despite the fact that the killer's right fucking there. You want to do the honors? This one's yours. That's when, right before Amber goes up and and flames. You know, there's a comment about like, oh, they always come back. Just like in the first one. Well, he's not coming back. And then Amber comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. All burnt up and destroyed. I think, I don't know if it's Gail shoots her or Sydney does. I don't remember. Somebody does. She's dead. And, uh, well, look at that. You've just solved the ghost face problem. <laughs> and so I wrote down my last little note. I'm fine with everything that happened plot wise, just not how it happened. So self-satisfied. All the hero moments and punchlines. 
It's really annoying. Oh, and I specifically called this one out at this moment. It is Tara that kills her. Her friend, Amber. Tara kills her because I still prefer the Baba Duke. Oh, that's right. Yes, the Duke. Yeah. Yeah. I still prefer the Baba Duke. I still prefer everyone. Everyone needs a one-liner. Everyone does. Is this 80s action movies now? We've gotten past that, haven't we? In the 80s with action movies. Why are horror movies doing it now? It's so fucking annoying. But I you like can't have. <laughs> so do I. But you can't You can't have your final girls be meek. They got to be the action heroes now. And it's like not even the guys are action heroes like that anymore. Unless they're in, you know, winky movies like The Expendables or something like that. Right. Or Fast you and the Furious. This is winking at you. But for a different reason. Like, they're using action movie tropes in a movie that's supposed to be winking at us about horror movies. I think that there's plenty of horror movies that have one-liners. This is too much. It's over the top. It's over the top. Literally every single one. I don't know. There's some really good ones. Sydney Prescott, first movie. Not in my movie. Yeah. And so she did that once in that movie, and now everyone gets one. It's like the Star Wars endings. There was one ending in Star Wars, A New Hope. There were two endings in Empire Strikes Back. There were three endings in Return of the Jedi. So when Phantom Menace comes out, how many endings are there? There are four. When Attack of the Clones comes out, how many endings are there? There are five things going on at the same time at the climax. Like, they have to, they just have to keep adding more. It must be better if you add more. No! One works. Two, maybe. But (laughs) everyone gets a one-liner on every kill. And it is so fucking distracting, at the very least. And eye-rolly at the worst consistently rolling my eyes, which is I'm, I'm a little bit upset at because there's a lot about this movie I really like. I'm totally fine with this part of, with this being part of the Scream canon. I think it fits very, very well. I think it lived up to the nature of Scream movies very well. The meta commenting on itself nature of them, I thought it did that very well. And for the most part, I really, really liked the movie. But it's that kind of stuff, which it's like tripping over the finish line. Which is a little bit of a problem. Do you not agree? No, I agree. I just don't feel that strongly. I, I'm i more upset about the writing than the acting than I am about anything else. Uh, but I, Yeah, but I, that's part, that's kind of what I'm saying. I pretty much agree with you. I, I just, I, I guess I just don't feel as upset about it as you do. Fair enough. Oh, we get a flash of Ghostface in the end credits. So what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I'm going to guess this one is high. I'm going to guess 81. Not far off. Five points. 76. 76. The fifth Scream finds the franchise working harder than ever to maintain its meta edge and succeeding surprisingly often. Yeah, sure. Okay. Has a Metacritic of 60 and a cinema score of B+. I pulled our scores from... The first four movies. You went 86, 80, 65, 65. I went 90, 80, 60, 70. So I didn't like three as much as you did quite. We were close. And I liked four a little bit more than you did. Oh, apparently they were trying to get Hayden Panettiere to get in this movie. Because she was one of the best characters from four, if you remember. 
and um, they just couldn't make it happen. And so there's a reference to her when Richie is looking online and viewing clips on YouTube. There's a thumbnail mentions her or has her in it or something. So 86, 80, 65, 65. I'm going to give it a solid 70. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I have to join you. I mean, looking what I, at what I did with the rest of these, I think this is, it, in many ways, it's better than four. Yeah, I thought it was better than four. But in other ways, it's worse. So for me, I guess it sort of evens out to 70, because that's what I gave four. You gave four sixty five. So you like this one better than that. Yeah, I thought this was better. Yeah. And I, may, and I know it may sound like, Chris, you were giving this movie so much shit, and you're giving it a <laughs> 70. It's like, yeah. I complain because I love. <laughs> I wouldn't be talking about all of its faults if I didn't respect it so much. You know what I mean? Ultimately, I think this movie is fun to watch. I just wish it it there were certain things that I thought was rolling my eyes at. Yeah, it works. Ironically, it doesn't take the Scream franchise serious enough, I would say. I'd say it takes it pretty seriously. I'd say it takes it almost too seriously. No, but it doesn't try to be itself a Scream movie enough. Oh. It tries to comment on Scream movies more than it tries to be one. I thought everything in it was pretty on par. Well, you and I disagree on that factor. Yeah. <laughs> but again, one of the worst written. Yeah, not not the best terribly writing. Terribly written. It's the only one not written by Craven. It's the only one not directed by Craven. Not, yeah. But okay, so he I don't didn't know if they write them. Well, no, because Kevin Williamson wrote the screen. Okay. But yeah, it's not written by Kevin Williamson. It's not directed by Wes Craven. I think partially that does show. But this is obviously made by people who love Scream. Yes. It's not like it was made by people who just want to cash in. And obviously they had to convince all the actors of that too. Otherwise they wouldn't have come back for the first Scream without Wes. I think. It just sucks because I felt like Dewey had a lot more to do than Sydney or uh, Gail. Sydney and Gail, like you said, like kind of felt like they were tacked on at the end and just kind of. Yeah, we're going to get hurt, but not hurt. I think, I mean, <laughs> Gail doesn't need to die. I didn't think. I don't think there's any die. benefit to Gail dying. I think there is some benefit to Dewey dying because as a character, he is a protector. He is a hapless protector who gets in the way to save other people and ends up getting hurt himself. So ultimately getting hurt and dying makes sense. Although I probably would have preferred... That he continued to muddle his way through and survive every time. Yes. Just like a reference to the first movie. Yes. Where he was supposed to die and audiences liked him so much that they made sure at the end you knew he was still alive. Mm-hmm. It makes just as much, if not more, sense for Sydney to die, though. As much as protected as she is, and this is my problem, she's Sydney Prescott. She has to be protected, right, for the franchise. Is she going to come back and do a sixth movie? Probably not. She she's won't come back in this one. She won't come back for another several movies when she's in her sixties. She does her Halloween. I hope she does comeback. continue to be in the movies. I just hope that she has more of an impact. But my point is, and I guess, I guess, ultimately, I'm glad it didn't happen this way. Is that she had the ability to die trying to save the new Scream Girl? I'm. In a way, I'm glad she didn't. Like, 
philosophically, I think that would have worked, but I'm glad that she didn't practically because our new Scream Girl is fucking balls. Yeah, she sucks. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I guess that would have been a thing for those fans to be upset about. Like, you killed off Sydney. I'm going to make my own movie. That, that was it. They needed something new to happen in real life so they can make a movie off of that instead of just making up bullshit and getting worse and worse and worse. That was their plan. <laughs> Ah, uh, anyway, we had a surprisingly thematic Friday the 13th, Kelsey, with 1985's Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, and 2022's Scream, parentheses, 5. What are we watching next week? Next week, I thought, we're in the midst of May. It's prom season. <laughs> we just went out to dinner. And saw some prom tables mm -hmm. at the restaurant. Saw some teens headed off to prom. Uh-huh. Lots and lots of pictures. I have lots of friends with kids going to prom this yeah, year. Yeah, Jesus. We will be watching Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. I was going to say, yeah, I, I know that name. Mm-hmm. And 2020's Killer Prom. So, Prom horror movies. If yep. they watch Prom Night, they'd save time. Exactly. Prom Night, which we liked. We really not, liked the original Prom Night. Yes, but not, not as much remake. as Terror Train, right. which we like better. Right. And of course, Halloween is better than that for your Jamie Lee Curtis. Like these all came out like the same year or a year apart. Of course, the fog is even better. Yes. <laughs> not better than Halloween. Yes, but, but better than the others. Yes. But yeah, so Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, and Killer Prom. That is next week. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Can't have a bona fide Halloween without Jamie Lee. Hello. What are you doing? We stopped paying attention for long enough. She got up and she's like, where are mommy and daddy? Yep. Can I come up, Dale? That's not for clawing. No, if you're going to claw, do it somewhere else. You can jump up there, though. Okay, now just be quiet. Oh my goodness, she's a lap cat. Kelsey wants nothing more than a cat to just sit in her lap. It's true. And here we are. She'll she'll get better at it. She doesn't last long. He describes once trying to help an old lady reach something on the top shelf at the supermarket, at which point the arm penis fell out of its strap and hit her on the forehead. <laughs> what a time to be alive. <laughs> Scream!
I'm gonna live forever. You worked at a worksite where an individual tested positive for or was diagnosed with COVID-19. The individual was at the workplace on 5-5-22. Which would have been, what, Wednesday? Thursday. Thursday. Okay, I was there. And will remain out of the workplace until he or she meets the guidelines for returning. For privacy reasons, we cannot disclose the individual's identity. As a result of the individual's presence at the worksite, you might have been exposed to COVID. You have not, however, been identified as having had close contact with the individual. Employees who had close contact with the individual have already been notified of such contact. Blah, blah, blah. We're cleaning up. They're not coming back. They've been sent to urine town. I mean, we lived we lived in, in, in Whittier for a while. And, you know, part of you just really gets very excited when you're watching Masters of the Universe. <laughs> And they're flying and marching down the street in Uptown Whittier. You're like, ah, I know where that is. I, I walked there every day or whatever, you know. Uh, you got to have some sort of fascination with it, right? Mm-hmm. It's very exciting to know that the scenes from Terminator, oh, you've looked it up, right? They're not actually filmed in Santa Ana, are they? Uh, yeah, I don't think they are. Damn it. Never mind. Sorry. It's Billy Loomis, and he was Sydney's boyfriend, and he was played by Luke Wilson, and I got you, asshole, <laughs> is what she says. Really? Patrick Dempsey. Oh, because it's giving me the character's name, Derek Shepard. I'm like, that's not his name. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You got stabbed a billion times, got dumped by your famous wife, and crawled into a bottle. I think it's safe to say you're on the suspect list. Well, maybe you're the killer, because that cut deep. We don't learn about the most key connection. Well, I guess it's not really a key connection. Never mind. It's Amber bought Stu's house. <laughs> Amber's family bought Stu's house. It's not really a key connection. A text. I can't believe you. Trajectory. Tra- trajectory. They. 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 Holy shit! It's Ghostface. <laughs> Love it. Great. 